Ooh. hope this whole pod is just us talking about the NBA. It's not even talking about the movie itself. Like, no, you actually didn't come goal. here for a movie. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Johnny the, the Davis. 20, the 2010s of the NBA. Not even right, 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 right. <laughs> That the era dominated yeah. by the Golden State Warriors, the Miami Heat, uh, Dallas Mavericks won. Who won in 2010? Was that the Lakers? That was the Lakers. Yeah, game seven. Right, right. Metal World Peace shot Kobe 6 for 24. All that good stuff. But anyway. Yeah. All right. That's all. That's all I got. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. Thank yeah. you guys so much for listening. That's the pod. Yeah. Next week. We'll Catch you next week. Jason, we'll recap Jason Capono's career and uh, his journeyman, uh, his journeyman career throughout throughout the Eastern Conference. <laughs> this is uh you hijacking this pod into making it an nba pod right. and you know what i i've uh, been waiting for it i've been waiting yeah. <laughs> i've been waiting this entire time you Falling played the long the game yeah yeah it's right. the new pod we're taking over <laughs> we only discussed the last decade in basketball 2010s, uh, <laughs> the last time the wizards had any semblance of hope for all right oh all right okay. oh no oh, all no. right we need to calm down now paul yeah. we need to calm down <laughs> We need to calm down. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me is Clay Williams, who I will give off this entire episode to. I'll, just, I'll step away from now. You guys, you, got, you guys got Jackson, it. You got Carl it. Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, what was the third one? I I I saw this movie like Donovan a week Mitchell. ago. Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell, least, of course. At least we're starting with actual pertinent people to the movie. Now, listen, <laughs> listeners may not ever find out. There's a lost like t- ten minute episode of me and Clay just talking about the NBA before Jack's podcasting software crash. So those episodes, if you want to subscribe to our fan house, um, Patreon, go ahead and drop money. Um, Patreon. But uh, but no, it it'll. <laughs> I'm excited to actually talk about the movie and the related topics. And like I was mentioning to you guys before, um, we kind of rec- are recording this at, a, at an interesting time because it's now we're post-Hustle is released, and that's sort of a related yes. thing. Um, we're post the NBA draft at this point, and so we're sort of in a sweet spot of, of uh, related topics, I think, that we can sort of branch out to, not just the movie itself. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's that's perfectly said. Uh, I watched, funny fa- fun fact, I think I watched Hustle right after, or sorry, right before I watched High Flying Bird. Because it kind of, like, when we were first planning to do this, it kind of came out. Hustle came, like, right out at that time, like, on the 11th or something, or the 10th. Um, and so I watched that right before. And they make a great double feature. I mean, both Netflix basketball movies, but show maybe more of the optimist side of, and the less in the less business side of uh, basketball rather than, and then it's like, you know, the player, the underbelly. You know, the player, yeah, the I think that's, hope, that's, the dream. You know, hustle is sort of the more pop and glitzier and right. um, more classic sports movie sort of story. Whereas I think High Flying Bird, because of, you know, who's behind it, is is a different kind of sports movie. Um, but I think still one that has that sort of core at its heart. Yeah, they both feel, feel very modern, too, which is interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they have to be because the, the sport of basketball is changing so much and the it's landscape of the league and the business. Crazy shifts in five years faster than you know 20 year periods i think in the 70s and 80s right? yeah, yeah. It's, and with the, i mean especially with international markets it just it keeps going it just does not stop yeah yeah and the beauty of Soderbergh is possible five years ago it would never <laughs> have been possible <laughs> right a man really. who's scotty yeah. pippen Nick, you know when a wolf had a baby whatever the phrase was right that was five years ago <laughs> <laughs> 
That was illegal yeah, they, in most states, but now, now it was. It is, you know. To, to read with Sandler says that a bunch in that movie, and it's like, wow, okay, we get the metaphor. <laughs> or someone, the, uh, comparison. Someone, someone at the pitch meeting really, like, really hit hit it hard with that, and the execs were like, yeah, we need this in the movie seven more times. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this is... Like, I don't think really they get it now. We need yeah. to, I don't think this is how people make... I don't think people make NBA comps with a player and an animal. It's also... Spirit they play like. It's also not a good comp. It's right. not a, like it's not a good comp for Bo Cruz. Like he's not I, very Scotty Pippen esque. Like yeah. it, it, it just doesn't <laughs> make sense. I would get it if it's like you're comparing two players with each other, but like an animal and like. Listen, I can't wait for next year when it's like this guy is like Max Struess and an iguana. If they had a child, <laughs> it's like what is what God. this means? That's an ugly kid. <laughs> no, no offense to Max Struess, I guess, but that's not. I assume the not... offense was on the iguana, but. Oh yeah, either one. <laughs> Shout out undrafted player Max Struess. Uh, <laughs> see now, now we're getting into the we're getting yeah. into the deep cuts. Max Struess um, is way more famous than any of the names we said in the. This is the true. Lost this is true. The lost files of this podcast. You know what? It's better that it's lost because, like, we I do will be weirdly keep circling the Miami Heat. Like, it is every weird. Time we're <laughs> heat culture, baby. Back. Pat Riley. Yeah, Chris Quinn is going to be next. You know, it'll it'll be a whole. All right, you guys, slow down. I'm, these are too many names for you to look up. Like, <laughs> right as we're just talking. Um, okay, but before we get into it, because we're all very very excited, uh, what have we been watching as of late? It's a new segment that we've been introducing uh, before Pollyama has been back, which you are here again. Lovely to have you. Yeah, yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Third time. Here we are. Third time is close. Your bathrobe is here. Your cigars. Yeah. You know, what does SNL do that we can copy? Cheap cigars, by the way. We don't yeah, have right, 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 right. We don't have cigars, to. No. Cheap cigars. <laughs> They're just for looks. They're just like the Shannon Sharp. It's not about the smoking of the cigars. So I haven't been watching shit lately. Because uh, we record, I'm just going to put it on the table. Cards, you're breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. yeah. Caught red handed. Uh, you <laughs> called my card. Or, no, you pulled my card. Whatever. Um, yeah, so we recorded literally like two days ago. So I have literally, I've watched Evil. That's it. I'm still watching, I'm chill, tra- still trying to f- finish Evil on Amazon. Well, give us an Evil. Is that, a, is, that, is that a show or is that like a clips of the 2008 Boston Celtics? Like when you say Evil, <laughs> no, what does that, see, see, there what does that mean? What is that? Uh, Listen, the financial crash did a number on us. I don't know what to say. <laughs> my Evil take is good show. Uh, I like mm. my culture. Uh, those are the two takes I real have. I really have. Um, it's just it's easily the most scary like network show I've ever seen. I'm not saying that's like a crazy take or or I'm not saying that's like a insane bar to clear, but it's still I don't know. I mean it's creepy. I, I, demons are you know not not my bad. I've not never my, even not heard of it, and I'm someone who like very vociferously follows streaming television. Well, it started off at I'm CBS and now it's on Paramount Plus. It's a Perry Plus, so, yeah. Which is oh. Perry Plus? Where do you get that? The the, the PV. Oh, I don't. Will. Yeah, I, yeah, the PV. Yeah, you know. yeah. PV. That's a PV <laughs> original like, now. <laughs> yeah, sounds like something Chris Ryan would say. Man, we're just <laughs> dropping off like podcast uh, mentions, basketball mentions. We're just. Like, I know it's like barely Easter about egg. us anymore. Easter yeah. egg episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've evil good. Uh, I like the show. It's procedural, it. but also, but I don't know. It's one of those things where it's just like, what if religion, but real, but in a way that's not like, didactic, that's not too like didactic. It's more into like, 
don't know. It's it's having fun with Christian mythology, which could sound offensive when I just said it. What but... what, uh, what what convinced you to watch this show? Uh, a few friends. Have, it, it's it's one of those Twitter favorites. Like it's not a favorite. It's it, it's not a show that like everyone's watching. Uh, I mean, there's a reason they moved it off the network. Like I don't think it's doing great. I mean, they've had they're on their third season. Um, I think it has like a dedicated fan base, but it's definitely not big. Um, but Michael Snydell, huge fan. Past and future guest. Yeah. Um, other people have mentioned it. So I'm just like, all right, I, I watch it. And I, again, my culture head. So, um, yeah, I really, I really dig it so far. I mean, it's very much like easy television. Just how big so- of a Mike Coulter head are you? Did you watch Breakthrough, the movie that got <laughs> Diane Warren? I watched the trailer. I watched oh. the trailer. Oh, credit. Yeah. That doesn't count. Um, it was in front of every movie in like the like six months of working on. That m- that might be true, <laughs> um, but you don't know how I watched it. So Mike Coulter fandom is like teetering on the brink. You know, it's like I follow yeah. him on Instagram. There, there's another thing. Wow, <laughs> one of like five, probably 16 million. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. Some Mike Coulter head you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I like the man. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's all, that's literally, I've been doing nothing else besides, uh, trying to, it's hot out here in, in, you know, Portland, Portland, Oregon. It's, uh, Mm -hmm. 84 degrees. I can't handle it. I love it. Um, yeah, for me, I've, I've started severance recently. Uh, very good. Also TV. I thought about dipping my toes in. Like, oh, you thought about going to the like, office. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. just feels like, what if Spiderhead was a little better? And I'm like, I don't know if that's enough <laughs> to watch the show. I was I actually, funny it. enough, I was deciding between Evil or Severance to start, or For All Mankind, one of the Apple shows. Oh. But I was like, which one am I going to watch? I feel like after this, I got to start Evil. So okay, it's so like you, we... You, I, yeah. you, what, you, you zagged hard if you were like going to go Severance or you know For All Mankind and you went Evil. That's like a, a real left turn Hey man, you, I'm unpredictable. I'm erratic. You can't. You, you, can't, you don't know where I'm going. It. I mean, not really, but some one of us has to watch it. Right? It's true. Yeah, it's one true. of us. I've also heard great things about for all mankind. Uh, but no, this one's really good. It's certainly living up to the hype. It's like doing a lot more than just like capitalism destroys your identity or what have you. I think I think Ben Stiller's like a really great director. Capitalism destroys your identity. Wait, what's <laughs> going on? Um, I know, I know, I know. It's Crazy concept. Um, <laughs> uh, if you guys saw Escape at Denimora, uh the miniseries from a few years ago, I think it was it was excellent. Uh, and what Ben Stiller did with that TV show, uh, that was really great. And uh, it's the talent has carried over to this one. Um, yeah, really good. Like three episodes. Paul, what have you been watching? Yeah, I've kind of been dabbling a little bit in different stuff. I'm I've been more in my TV bag recently than I have. Um, in a while, uh, I'm about halfway through We Own This City, and that's really, like, sort of really my jam. That's exactly the kind of show that I really, um, that appeals to me, I would say. Um, I finished Under the Banner of Heaven somewhat recently. That was, that was pretty interesting, I thought. Uh, you know, I'm always kind of watching anime, so I'm watching this show called Rent a Girlfriend right now, which is this kind of quirky, interesting sort of thing. But, you know, some movies lately, too, that I've really liked. Um, I recently watched, like, Long Day Closes, and, um, like Sleeper, the Schrader, I'd never seen. And um, so I'm sort of popping in and out of, of different stuff. Honestly, in the last few days, I've just been watching a lot of like highlights of like obscure European basketball players to get ready for the NBA <laughs> draft that just happened um, to, to try to convince myself that, you know, certain players 
will matter to me in, in a few years. And then we just mm-hmm. ended up overdrafting um, two guys who I'm not very excited about. But um, nonetheless, uh, but no, I, I've been kind of like in the last few months, I've been really trying to sort of like spice up my media diet by, you know, watching some shows, some miniseries, like, you know, get some more music because I used to just be like movies, movies, movies all the time, all the time, which is like great. But like, it's sort of, you know, I kind of like to fulfill myself in other areas. That's sort of, I've been spreading myself out a bit. Um, but yeah, We on the City is probably like the big highlight is as of late. As of, as so of fucking good. It's like, um, so fucking good. Yeah. And it's like, I'm watching the show and I'm like, why is Jamie Hector not a huge star anymore? Like Thank you. Movies or something Thank like you. Um, He's incredible. Incredible. Puzzling, but I also mean, like Bern, Bernthal is just like, yeah. He's cook. He's cooking with gas, man. Of course, yeah. Nobody's it's nobody's a... eating his crabs, but you know he's. <laughs> John Bernthal, past and future guest of the pod. We all know this. Yeah, he's like, so committed yeah, to that so... performance. He did a Baltimore accent. It's almost unheard of. I feel like because yeah. it's not a real accent. I mean, it's an accent, but it's not really like no one cares about a well, Baltimore he's from accent. DC, so he's like close enough. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. he would care about it. Yeah, like, that's I mean, true. I'm sure he has people that he like knows growing up that probably. Oh yeah. Figure that whole. Yeah, he he knows some wild ass people. I mean, he, he's doing this podcast, Real Ones or whatever. I haven't watched it or anything, but it's just I see like clips of it on his Instagram. I'm just like, Jesus, you're just talking to anybody and everybody, okay? Yeah. Um, that kind of energy, I feel like. Well, he'll for sure, he can get along with anybody. Yeah. He is. Oh man, I love him. I love him. Yeah. I always. And, uh, yeah, this is. I also as someone from outside of DC, I respect it. I respect it for sure. Yeah. Um. Really random shout, but like really good on uh, Mark Marin. <laughs> I thought he gave a really good interview. Just like very humble and was this recent like, or was this like? Uh, I think it was like a few years ago. I forget what he's promoting. Um, but because Jesus and Mero is really fun. He mm-hmm. gets along yeah. with the guys really well. Yeah, those guys can get along with anybody too. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's it always sucks when they have to ask like actual interview questions because they mostly just right, love right. riffing. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> but they know the people at really Showtime are like, speed it up, speed it up. <laughs> right. You can just tell they're like reading, like, <laughs> I think there's this one clip of, I think Jackie might have sent it to me. Uh, oh, an interview I've already seen. It's like two years ago when they interviewed Bill Hader for like Barry season two. And <laughs> there's a moment where Jesus just like transitions, like, okay, how, how was, you know, did you do your own stunts or, or whatever? And Bill just like starts laughing. He's like, "What kind of fucking transition is that?" And he's like, "We don't do transitions on this show, okay? Yeah. We just we just ask questions, and it's so funny." <laughs> yeah, and and like, there's such a different energy from Bill too. So it's like, I'm just like, like I'm just That's like a still good one guy of their best interviews. Oklahoma. Yeah. Bill Hader yeah. just Bill, can't stop Bill, laughing. Bill Hader is hilarious because he'll be on like some podcast, and some guys ask him like. Oh, like what are like you know what are some like good movies and the guys thinking you know in the genre similar genres of stuff he's been in and Bill Hader will be like yeah like you know the staircase this like great you know you know RKO picture from like 1947 it's like and then the interviewer will be yeah. like what the fuck are you talking about? yeah <laughs> yeah 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 he was born uh, in a Criterion closet I've just I've just come to that conclusion he was no he's he's like a mountain of knowledge closet. yeah um. No, li- literally. I mean, future, we joke. Future guest, he says. No, literally. I, I, uh, I would love, I would love that. Would be the fucking dream. <laughs> what is Bill Hader going to pick the skeleton twins if he comes on? Uh, Maybe. Let's see. <laughs> I mean, he, that's one person where if he picks his own movie, I feel like you got to be like, okay, like I guess. Yeah, you know, I guess we can do it. yeah. The skeleton twins. No one's going to pick that. You might as well pick it. 
Yeah. And plus, he genuinely Bro, likes shots, the Skeleton shots Twins. Fired. Yeah. Shots fired at the Skeleton Twins. I, I think it's a charming movie. Yeah. It's like, you know. Okay, but are you, is there like these huge <laughs> Skeleton Twins stands who are just like, I need to talk about the I movie. Mean, I just Luke have to. Maybe. We'll do, yeah. it. we'll do many crazy Yeah, Luke Wilson heads coming out of the, yeah. Ty Burrell heads. Yeah. Is Ty Burrell? I didn't know he was in that, actually. I've never seen I don't think Ty Burrell's a real person. That's my case. <laughs> I think he's a side. Modern. Modern family, more like old-fashioned family, you know. Oh, I see. All right. You're go real, real spicy now, Jack. How long just... have you had that one in the chamber? I feel like Jack has been waiting to fire off, fire off the yeah. title there. He's like just waiting for the Ty Burrell mention. Yeah, we, it's my we time. We don't mention him, so this was the time. Yeah. <laughs> and We've course, never covered anything with Ty Burrell. The high-flying high bird episode. That's the natural conclusion. Of course, uh, of course. Yeah, the natural arrival. Yeah. played the Kyle MacLachlan role? In this movie, absolutely fucking not. Ty Burrell did not step into a steam room. He's—I don't think he's physically allowed to. I That's—I think, think he would melt combust. for sure. The world of combust. Maybe yeah. Quinto. He might have. He, I think he would have played. Ter- I'm gonna feel terrible if Ty Burrell is like an avid listener of the show. He's like, <laughs> the last straw. I'm he finally gets a mention and like. <laughs> yeah, the RSS feed is, is going out of my. Yeah, I can't. Do I can totally see Ty Burrell in like a Soderbergh. Like he just fits like in the eclectic cast. I think Quinto would. I think the Quinto role is what he would do. I feel for like. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice, you don't, you but don't think, like you don't, you don't think he noxious. could do the Zazzy Beats part? You don't think? No. <laughs> no. Craig is going for that? No. No. He's not throwing it all the way. Maybe. <laughs> you can't imagine Ty Burrell, uh, you know, uh, saying the line "We live in the information era" and just like <laughs> complete confidence. Uh, yeah, great transition, though. Uh, we do a better job of transitions than Days of Samara, I guess. What's your relationship that, with High Flying? That, that was just you you setting up having a terrible transition with telling the story. Because you're like, <laughs> well, clearly all great hosts don't know how to transition. Oh, by the yeah. way, our movie did today, High Flying <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, totally you, I'm set up. You. Yeah. I'm, I'm 10 steps ahead. No, you know, yeah. But people... no, yeah, it's... Clay's the mastermind here. Yeah, come on. Like, you know. <laughs> it's It's funny because this is like a movie that... I feel like I say this about some projects from time to time, but truly this was one of those things where it feels like a boardroom met and was like, what movie can we make that Paulo Yama will watch in approximately one second after it, it premieres on the streaming service? And it's like, one of my favorite filmmakers making a movie about the NBA, a thing I right. already care way too much about. And it's like, written by Terrell Avin McCraney. It's like starring <laughs> one of my favorite actors on planet Earth. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, even like the supporting parts, it's like, Literally, like, all my favorite people from my different TV shows, it's, like, I'm, like, such a huge Heroes fan, and, like, Zach Kinto being in this, and, like, Zazzy Beats from Atlanta, and then, like, I, like, had just been obsessed with American Vandal, and Melvin Gregg was just on that. Play, we got to talk about the Melvin Gregg basketball player canon at some point. That's the thing I'd love to get into. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, between this, The Way That's Back, right. and American Vandal, all That's incredible right. projects. Yeah. where he and he's, like, 30 play. years old, and he played a high school student, like, two years ago. Yeah, yeah it's... Yeah, it's big. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. But no, this it's always a good episode when our beloved American Vandal is mentioned. Just it's right. a yeah. it's a movie that I feel like could never really have lived up to, to my expectations, but kind of did because it's a different kind of movie than I was expecting it to be. Um, but I I have loved this movie even since back when it came out. It was like in and around my top ten of the year twenty nineteen, and it's one of those things that I think it's really aged well. Not just because I mean partially because of my sort of budding NBA fandom, which I think has sort of only gotten stronger even since then, but also just because of what it says about this world like this world as a business and how that's evolved and how it's like so it's such a predictor i think of things to come and sort of like 
the iPhone era of Soderbergh, I think is really interesting and sort of his, his run of just like making two or three movies a year and just yeah. turning them out. And I feel like this is one of the ones that people are like, yeah, whatever, like that came and went. But I really think that's, it's something that has a lot of meat on the bone, not just in terms of what it's saying, but like, I just think it's a really like incredibly well-written movie. I think it's something yeah. to talk about too. It's like, I think it's one of the, one of the best screenplays of, of um, the late 2010s, honestly. I think it's so incisive and, um, it communicates its ideas in this way that's that are really great. And it's just a movie that's mm-hmm. really stuck with me over the years a lot. I think more than most people. You want to get back on the court. And that's your agent. I want to get you there. But we are in a lockout. There are no actual games to watch. You think these fools, these rich white dudes gonna let these sexiest sport fall by the wayside? Team's my family. I need us to be one big family again. Football is fun, but it don't sell sneakers. To move merch and inspire rap lyrics, they need your services. The NBA won control of a game that we played. We played better. They invented a game on top of a game. I can see a whole infrastructure that put the control back in the hands of those behind the ball gonna do but i'm about to pull up a chair my god ain't right we're at the height of the information era we need a story what are you doing man this is my career you have a chance sir to do what has never been done before come on man give him the rock i don't want to do that this is the matchup everyone's been dying to see we may not 24 million people saw the video. You're not thinking of breaking up our happy marriage. What you saw yesterday was just the beginning. Oh man, this is getting crazy. Of what could be a whole new industry. He's up to something. You did all that? You know the lead with a black ball. You scared? We don't need the lead. We are disruptors. It's your game now. You were born for way more than this. Don't let them fool you. Yeah, I, I, I think the fact that we mentioned that the movie is coming out in like a very specific moment in time is like very crucial and coincidental even. Um, uh, cause like right now we mentioned it's in a post hustle, the Adam Sandler movie, uh, and a draft when it came out, when we're doing the podcast, when we're, I, when we're doing the podcast and also yeah. what, when the movie came out, right? Because this is not only Soderbergh, like, uh, doing a second iPhone movie, and uh, the first movie for like only streamers, which now like the the rema- the ones after this have all been for streamers. Uh, this came out. Uh, the idea of it was initially like when Andre Holland and Steven Soderbergh were doing the Nick together, and when they were filming the Nick, the whole Donald Sterling thing came out. So it's like that kernel of an idea of like uh, people talking about. Um, their basketball players this way and their ownership of them. And what does that mean of the power and the control of all that? So I think it's just like this movie, like is also timeless. So it's like a lot uh, going on here on the surface. Um, but for Clay and I, I think we have a very similar story with this movie with our first time watching it. Uh, who would like to together. tell it? If we watch it together. Yeah. That's the, you know, but uh, uh, we, we, we yeah. did it over zoom or was it or yeah. Skype or whatever FaceTime. 
Yeah, some uh, some one of those, you know. Uh, well, because it was we we, we like, were massive, but we were massively hyped. I mean, like this premiered at Sundance. Uh, we we knew that Cerberg was making something to do with uh, with basketball and the sort of the Moneyball esque like drama outside of the the boundaries of the game. And you had to explain to me like a whole lot. And, uh, you know, I had no idea what a lockdown was. I didn't know many of the players uh, just to put our cards on the table. And it's amazing. You know, I think we were both massive Soderbergh fans at the time and we still are, you know, so you it just were, came at a great are, time. You were a bigger Soderbergh fan than I was. I didn't see enough of his filmography at that point to really commit to him as like one of my favorite directors. Now I have. Um, but Sorry to see like, for you. But it was very much the two, like our two main, like, big interests, me and the NBA head, uh, Jack very much into Soderbergh at the time. Uh, and so it was, it was a, Matt, it was a fun movie to watch together. It was definitely like a perfect combination. Yeah. And I, I, I remember like watching it uh, and we were like, that was fucking great. And I don't, I don't, good I mean, fucking movie. Good, yeah, we were like, what a picture. Uh, and we're the exact same that it's like, I don't think it left both of our top tens, but, um, um Maybe. Anyway, no, I, um, and then, yeah, and this was, um, for Netflix and since this, he's done the laundromat for Netflix and for HBO me and no sudden move. So it's like a very interesting, uh, and let, let them all. Yes, absolutely. Let them all talk. Uh, great film. That's massively overlooked. I thought, um, but I think he's just on this very interesting trajectory right now where it's like, this movie's narrative plays a lot into his narrative where it's like, you can take control so easily. Oh, and 100%. like, I mean, his, um, this, that whole stretch, I think from even from Logan lucky, which is really similar in terms of, right. And even the way that he funded Logan lucky, that sort of feels like it's in the same spirit of what Ray's character is doing in this movie. And I feel like it's kind of all of a piece, right? Like mm -hmm. I think maybe subcon, I mean, maybe it is conscious, but even if it's subconscious, like I think there's something about, these specific kinds of stories, something like Kimmy, even where it's like Soderbergh is taking these people who are sort of at the margins in some sort of way, economically or socially, um, and centering them into a different sort of world um, and using them as avenues sort of into these worlds that I think some people don't know a lot of information about, right? When it comes to some of the specifics of even, especially here with, with the NBA, I think um, that's why I think some people, I think, sort of wrote this movie off as like, oh, it's just like sort of insider NBA nerddom. But it's like, I think when you really look at it, I mean, it's pretty, very clear that it's an analog for lots of other industries and how people are taking control of um, of a system that's like designed for the people sort of that um, have the money at the top to sort of like continue that. And that's sort of the disruption of that is really what Soderbergh seems to be really interested in. Um, and this is like one of the first big steps I think he takes in that direction. It might be for me, like the calling card movie in terms of, that ethic that I think he's displayed in the last few movies. Yeah, absolutely. And with this one, it's like, uh, it's not, it's not so much like Aaron Brockovich in traffic where it's like people on the marginalized outsides, like fighting a global and like economic issue. Um, but this one is like just the people we don't normally see in sports movies and sports business, like almost, uh, being this narrative of like taking back your power and what should be yours yet. Like it's not, it's almost like on a delay and it's like not yours just yet, but yet it's going to be any minute now. And it's like just playing this constant waiting game and let's like forming relationships. Um, it, it really does fit like so in line with themes that he returns to so many times. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, think this has a reputation for being a sort of like 
Soderbergh rolled out of bed and made the movie, and it's like, yeah, it's all right. But I think the the movie in this sort of period of his career has this sort of really get up and go energy to it that's just move, move, move. Mm-hmm. Even when just the way that the film is edited together, like this film and sort of other films in this run, it really is something that feels more lively to me. Like it feels like it's got some sort of energy that I think, even when he's making really good films in the you know in the early 2010s and in the late 2000s, I think it lacked a bit of that verve that I feel like this sort of has sort of recaptured in his career. Yeah. I mean, the movie, I, I don't, I love the movie and I love its inclusion of basketball and what it has to say about basketball. I just don't see it as a basketball movie. I think it's so much more mm-hmm. bigger than that. It's, it's a, a Soderbergh movie. It's an allegory yeah. for other, many other things. Exactly. It's a movie about late worker rights and labor issue and, you know, mm-hmm. big companies and the idea of abusing um, uh, the powerless of workers and how much autonomy you can get, you can grant yourself what you can do. How could that, like, what are, what, within the, like, how can you defy the, you know, the, the big power structures that are basically controlling you and controlling your income? Um, it's also, to me, a heist movie. Uh, I've always thought yeah. it was a movie, it was a heist movie in the sense of it's stealing the game. It is stealing the game from the owners and back into the hands of the players. But to um, me, it's one of those heist movies where they steal the money and then give it back. And it's like the quote that he says, where he says, he doesn't, I don't need it. I just wanted to hold, it, to hold on. it on. So yeah. they know that I know. And so exactly. it's really just a heist to be like, hey, by the way, this could be, I could take this from you at any moment. Like this could be disrupted. This could change. Like mm-hmm. remember what you I'm more important. I have my own game going exactly. on. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And not even just that I'm important, but it's like, I know like the way that you see me. And I know that I have avenues to change. Mm-hmm. Um, our position in regards to each other. So I think it's really interesting in the way that it's sort of like totally flips um, that out of its head too. I mean, it's basically that conversation that Ray Burke has with Kyle McLaughlin's character that it's like, I want to disrupt this big happily family that you would think are all aligned with each other, yet um, you feel the, the grasp lo- loosening. Um, yeah, but. I mean, it's to, it, it's it's making a god bleed. It is like, you know, it, it's basically saying, look, you're vulnerable. You, you're, there's, you know, you're not immortal. You're not invincible. You can shed blood. We can gra- We can take this from you if we really want to. But it's all of our best interest that we cooperate and we coexist. Mm. But if you, you have to, you have to play fair. You have to get, and it's, yeah, watching it for the second time, um, it's a spe- I, obviously I understood more of the allegorical aspects and the overall politics of the film, um, especially in a time, even though 2019 was definitely post Kaepernick and stuff, but it's only, we've only reflected on it more since then. Yeah. And the power of a single athlete and the power of. Especially in the NBA. I mean, the player empowerment era has only sort of exponentially grown over time. Absolutely, and you sp- especially when you see other sports having more of it. Not more, but like no, no, like you know, uh, ownership that is very much not is trying to suppress the individuality of players uh, and trying to make sure that uh, they don't break out of the mold. While the NBA, I mean, of, it's not a mistake it. that that in the movie there are interviews with like Donovan Mitchell and Carl Anthony Towns and not Robert Sarver and Stan Kroenke. Like, there's a reason right. that this is telling a specific story from this point of view. Yeah, it's for the players and i and it's a it's a perspective for a i think sports fans 
really do lose the big picture at a lot of times, which is why this movie's great. Why it's like Moneyball is good, um, but maybe in a lesser extent in the idea of trying to pare down the big theatrics of games and like, you know, championships and records and score, you know, scoring totals. It's like person is, you know, this is a person. He is employed by a company. Uh, This company expects X, Y, Z. Uh, but the company's also not interested in their own. Um, they're they're looking out for the uh, you know big company self rather than the individual worker, uh, and to, I basically get a more of an idea that they live within an ecosystem. They're not these like you know flashy individual players who can just control their own destiny. Uh, they have to adhere to rules that have been set by owners who are majorly white and very rich and have plenty of other avenues and um, resources to suppress a player's uh, suppress players options to break out of the mold uh, to get in line. And I think too, one of the most important things that has happened between the this movie coming out um, and now, and when we're talking about it is specifically when it regards to the NBA, when you look at stuff like, the media disruption with J.J. Reddick's podcast, Draymond Green's podcast, and players taking this sort of wrestling the media narrative and making it their own, right, and telling yeah. the story from their point of view and talking about the games as people who are not only an active part of it but who have been witness to it and who are really in it, right? And so I think that um, that's another aspect of this movie is really, like, it's all about, yeah, taking attention from – it's like the NBA ceremony, where, which I always thought this was silly, is whenever the finals are awarded, they first have the owner of the team come up and they give them the trophy. And it's like, right. on the one hand, obviously they pay for the players and they're the reason the team can exist, et cetera, et cetera. But the team only is what it is because of the people who are on the court yes. doing the actual playing of the game. And so I think this movie has a lot of that spirit too, is sort of making us re-examine why we value certain people in these organizations over others and why certain people have certain say it's, you know, have a certain amount of say, um, despite them maybe not impacting the actual physical on the foot on the feet on the ground business in the same way that the players, right? Like fans don't come to the arena to watch the owners. They come right. to watch the players. And like, that's right. ultimately like about shifting it towards. And the NBA is a player's league, much more than football, much more than baseball. Um, yeah. And I think there's a line in the movie where it's like, it's, you know, the, also the NBA is more profitable because, you know, players have more distinct personalities and have, and are able to have more of like a brand, uh, you know, control of their brand. They have their own shoes. Uh, they have Football their own... is fun, but it don't sell sneakers. sneakers. The lines yeah. in the movie where yeah. They talk specifically about why basketball has that ability to give players like a, make them the real face of the league. They're not wearing helmets the entire game. There's, you know, like mm. it's one of the. Sort of, it's only the one of the only four big American sports where the players are not wearing a helmet for a vast majority of the time that they're on offense or playing the game. So it's like it's a much different sort of sport image-wise too. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is also at a time, 2019, it's like, I mean, the game has ex- been accelerating in global reach uh, even at the point, but it's just, it's just, it builds on top of it. Like it's accelerating at such a point that it just, it's exponential. Um whether it's India, China, um, Asian markets in general, uh, Africa, like, I think that's one of the biggest sort of markets for for basketball now, especially like post Bill and Bead, post Pascal Siakam, like looking at those places for 
opportunities for people that maybe would not have access to any sort of scouts or anything like that, which is why it's so important a lot of these programs that former players have, like Luol Deng and people that make these programs in their hometowns and stuff to bring the game, to make it global in a way that's like real, not just like everyone can watch it, like people can really actively participate in it. And it because of that, it, it's a better business model for them because there's a greater diversity in, in you know, possible outcomes and, and possible um, like com- you know companies you know if you were to trade that each player is yeah and, and also um, the, uh, yeah. the the with the uh, working with the iPhone um, it helps it so well that it's like uh, they shot the movie um, within like a month five weeks and uh, because the production wasn't like a normal uh, amount of time they can just like stay on top of things and it doesn't feel dated as soon as it comes out. And you can get, honestly, it's probably easier to get, with the schedule like that, it's probably easier to just get actors to come in for a couple of scenes and then just be done with it, right? And not have to right. do this whole sort of song and dance where they have to commit to a thing. And it's like, um, I wonder, well, yeah, what the working, how would the working conditions on his sort of sets differ than other places? Because I'm sure it is like much less extravagant, which maybe some people would be bothered by, but I think it's an mm-hmm. interesting sort of way of approaching um, production. Well, for this movie, it sounded like there just wasn't that big of a crew in general like there wasn't like a thousand pas roaming around or whatever like it was pretty intimate like again of like most of his movies he shoots or not i don't know about most i don't know the number off the top of my head but he shoot he shoots a lot of his movies and he shot this one um and mm-hmm. I, I you know he takes on so a lot, many of, a lot of them under a pseudonym usually he, right he, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. He like pseudonym. yeah peter andrews for cinematography and uh, marion bernard for editing like because he doesn't want to give himself too many credits and it, it's always fun like those are variations on his parents names um, but yeah, so it is very much like, uh, it's more intimate. It's like, he's very, he doesn't need a thousand different people or like five different people to do the job he's himself is doing. So yeah. it, it, I mean, I am interested to what actors think because mm-hmm. it's very much the lesser of an extreme to like Fincher or whatever, you know, it's like two takes. Yeah. And Bill Duke, uh, the, the great Bill Duke, of course, uh, uh amazing Bill Duke. Yeah. Uh, he was talking about in an interview I watched, like the difference between this set and when he was on the Limey for a short for a few days, um, and just oh, like the so different. The limey. It, so, it, I mean, every performance is fantastic, and you know it, it's so funny. Like Soderbergh is such a uh, prolific professional that it's like he can have this like very minimal set and yet like have the environment feel the same, uh, according to Bill Duke, as uh, it, uh, they were shooting the Limey in 1998. Bill, when you showed up and they were shooting on $10 rigs, did you question whether or not you were in a movie? Were you like, what is this? I didn't know where I was. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, is that it was exciting. Um, I'd never, you know, experienced that before. I worked with Stephen before on Limey, but it was cameras. But this was a new experience. And the thing that I blew my mind is that when they did the dolly shots, they rolled them around in the wheelchair. And so it was, it was a fascinating experience and working with these great people. That was the core of everything because wonderful actors, a great script comes together, you know, something you really get passionate about. Yeah. And I will say beyond even this stuff, though, like this would all be nice and interesting, but like it's also it's not just what it's about, but it's how it's about. Right. Which is the fun mm-hmm. thing about movies. And I just think like it's such a great screenplay because yeah. the cadence and rhythm of, of the dialogue to me is is so effective. And this is sort of one of the my favorite compliments for when a movie is written so well. And it's like, if this movie was a podcast, I would probably listen to it. Like as a visual thing is it's, it's, it's great on its own too, but just to listen to 
the way that people interact and the way that they'll interject at certain points and even something specific, something as uh, Bill Duke's character's whole thing about not um, using, you know, any discussion that is relating to sort of slavery or commodification of players and how he does the whole, I love, I love God and all his black people. Like, I think even those sort of little, um, little sort of ticks almost in the screenplay make it like have this rhythm and this um, liveliness to it that I think really um, makes the thing like go by so quickly. It's already a pretty short movie, but I feel like I blinked and the thing was like almost over. Yeah. And that in that moment once they were refer back to slavery like it's not even made a mention of until sonya son in the very in like the the last half of it like yeah, like starts like to refer to it yeah like why and like it's just a little more of a throw line for for ray to like refer back to um and i think that's really smart to like um to to bring it back around and it's like this is but that like, throwaway line like the, is and i so love love connected to the theme yeah, of the film exactly and that scene once you have sonya's son like recite the line like that is when the guard is like brought down and the business talk is then ended and then they can like go into like what they really mean i i think that scene is brilliant i, I love in movies when people have like recurring not bits but like things like that where it's like you know, like sort of inside sort of references and stuff between two people where it's just every time someone does a certain thing, there's like sort of a call and response to it. And I love that sort of aspect of their, because I think that richens relationships, because that's what friendships really like in real right. life, right? Like when you'll have friends where once they start talking about like some certain, you know, you know, sort of person they dated or some sort of like thing that they go to, it's like, okay, like whatever, like there's a classic response to it, I think every time. And so I think having that. Um, makes you feel the bond between the two of them, even beyond the stuff that you see with them on an emotional level. Like it really makes you feel like they've known each other for a long time. And mm. a lot of that obviously is like two incredible actors. Like I sort of alluded to it earlier, but Andre Holland to me is like one of our, I don't know, dozen or so best actors like working, which I know sort of like seems like a lofty statement for somebody who doesn't work as much, you know, he doesn't have like a ton of projects, but I just think every time I've seen him, he's just incredible. Like, especially in moonlight and something like this and mm -hmm. on the Nick, like he just, he has this I love the Nick. amount yeah. of grounded humanity. I think that he brings to something that's like, feels so effortless. And mm -hmm. even just the way that he delivers the, I mean, him with throw Adam McCraney's dialogue, is just like such a perfect fit. He has that sort of like melancholic undertone, even though he's saying things kind of slick in a certain sly kind of way. Um, I just love him in this movie so much. I think it's, it's such a shame that it was not a performance. I think that people talked about. I think as much as it probably deserved to be. Because I yeah. just think um, he's he's so so excellent. I do wonder, like, if Netflix like swapped the release dates of this on the laundromat. Like, if this was in the fall festivals and laundromat was Sundance. Like, if the, that would get more conversation going. But I do, especially with the pedigree I, of the people behind it, right? Like, not yeah, just, absolutely. I mean, yeah. him coming off, Trevor McCraney coming off of Moonlight. Like, obviously, with Silicon, absolutely. Like, I wonder if that would have put it in more of a different conversation. And I wonder if people would have perceived it differently rather than just being like some random basketball movie Netflix is putting out in, in uh, you know, the spring. It's like, oh no, this is like a real sort of serious. And like you said, maybe Soderbergh like going through the motions or what have you. Yeah. Um, and uh, Andre Holland also like spoke to other like sports agents to, just to get the like mannerisms and body language and uh, just like their cadence down. Um, and he mentioned like, it's a very parental relationship that uh, agents will have to their players. Uh, which I find interesting because, like, yes, I do think that um, his re uh, Ray's relationship to Eric is very parental, yet, like, he can't tell him a lot of the moves he is making on the chess game, right? So it's like, he's holding that's a lot back. I mean, that, in, in that's, that makes it more parental, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, oh, like, that's true, yeah, yeah. 
kids ask questions, you'd be like, oh, don't worry. Like, well, like you'll you'll know at some point. Like, you'll figure out why I'm doing what I'm doing, which I think is – It all makes sense, like, yeah, like at one point. Yeah, with the two of them for sure. And all, it's like you sort of – like once you get to meet Eric, it's like you understand why he wouldn't – because I don't know if Eric would know how to respond if he told him what he had in mind. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he probably he might not have gone on with it because that's why he fires him at the end of the movie because he didn't yeah. like how he was sort of used. I and Paul, tell me if you agree with this. Um, I think it, the funny thing about the whole idea of agents and this modern sports world, and especially in the NBA, is that they're more in front of the camera nowadays than they have ever been. I mean, Rich Paul is a very famous example. I mean, you could go to. I mean, I don't know if. Uh, LeVar Ball is like the agent or whatever. By the way, but... ra- random side note, but Mike Miller being Paolo Banquero's agent blew my freaking mind. I didn't know that. I that thought was he was so still crazy. coaching high school or whatever. Uh, that was great. Well, it's funny because I can specifically speak to this because for the first year at university, I was like on the track to be a sports agent. I was like pre-law studying right. sports management and business at Indiana. Um, and so like I was on the path to do this sort of thing. And it's like funny to see um, – a lot of the people that are in that program, right, which take a much different approach to Ray's character, which I'm sure is why Ray is the agent that's highly sought after, right, in the movie. They sort of allude to it because, like, that's why Zazie Pizza had to work for him because he has the reputation of, like, he's a real person and he, like, actually right. cares about people, um, which I think really can set you apart in a field where it feels like people are you know, being vulturous, you know, especially with these guys when they become these huge names at 15, right? And it's like people are trying to glom on them as soon as possible. There's the whole story with Eric, right, in the movie about how, He's at some party, and Andre Helen's character knows the whole spiel. He knows, like, oh, the guy pretended to be some corny white dude, and he pretended to be a big fan, and then he, you know, was like, oh, I can help you out. And that's right. the kind of relationship people try to, they try to, you know, leech anything they can off of these guys at the earliest age possible. And that's why I think, like, when you have that special agent relationship, maybe that's why you see some NBA players making decisions that people are sort of question is because maybe the person that they really trust and they really believe in, like, just thinks that's the right way to go for it. I don't know. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it you know obviously uh, Ray Andre Holland's character he describes himself as a revolutionary. Um, he is very much of the mindset of power to the players, um, which I want to hope that person exists. I feel like maybe there's a few of them out there, but it's one of those things where it's like. It's hard to it's hard to fathom that that kind of person is one of the top agents, uh, like like the most successful agent in the league, because the idealism is so is so present in everything he does. Yeah, but I think if in honestly in real life, I think that a lot of the NBA agents do probably have in mind what's best for the players, but I just think the reality is what's best for the individual player as far as their career and their life might not be what's best for fans and for fan bases and for teams, right? And it's like, as much as I get mad at players for like trying to negotiate for more money or asking for trades in certain situations, like that might just be what's better for them. And they're like, that's another thing too, is even as fans, even as someone who I like to think of myself as being empathetic towards athletes, right? But I, even I know I get short-sighted sometimes and, and lose track of like what really would be the best decision for them as a person. Like, exactly. I get mad when people want to leave my team. It's like, but sometimes that's just the better fit for them. Like maybe Jeremy Grant did want to be with a black coach and a black GM and have a bigger role on a bigger team. That's why he left the Nuggets. It's like hmm. these situations differ from person to person. And it's so hard because we don't know what they're like as people. That's impossible, right? You'll never really know what these players are like, I think, in, in a sort of true authentic way, outside of maybe one or two, if, you know, and even though the odds are slim. So it's like 
this is a window into like, oh, maybe like these decisions that seem silly for us are the things that are healthiest and, and bear the most fruit for the people that are actually being affected most directly by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I that, mean, go ahead, Jack. No, oh my god, get out of here. Uh, that does play into High Flying Bird. It's like so much of the movie is about storytelling and narratives. Uh, and uh, of course, like Sam even says at one point, like you have to control your narrative in order to like spin it back into your favor. And then people will not only like you, but you'll look good in the future um, at some points. And it's like, you know, the narrative that Eric wants to create as a player and then Rave wants to create as an agent, uh, they're similar and different. And I think that's like a very like, that's like the one of the main conflicts in the movie. Yet it's like a, a very understanding one because like they don't have like a huge fight or what have you uh they understand like this is very much business and they're colleagues at the end of the day like yes they can get to like a very like um understanding place because they have so much in common um and similar with the relationship with sam and uh ray as well as i mean ray clearly like he's willing to make himself look bad for the betterment of eric as a person like ultimately the best outcome was for Eric to stay in the agency, but for the lockout to end. And this was his only avenue. Right. And if it meant him losing a specific client, like, so be it, right. He's willing to take that sort of burden um, for it to end up in sort of the best possible situation for both of them. Yeah. Because the thing about Eric is like, he needs the lockout to end. He is again, getting swarmed in loan debt or whatever, and he's making bad financial decisions, but he's, but a thing, another thing that people just sometimes don't understand these are kids. They're childs. Yeah. They're f- fucking children. And they're given these massive masses amount of money and they're asked to the people are figure surprised when they when they blow when they blow it and stuff. It's like, well, what, what do you and then they're you know, people are being surrounded by these people who are desperate again, like I mentioned earlier, to get anything they can from them and to suck any sort of lifeblood out of them. And it's like it's a hard that's difficult. That's why it's like that's why you find people clinging on to people that they know when they were kids. It's like, who else do you know that you can trust? But someone it's true. You grew up with or, and it sounds silly to be like, my agent is my you know best friend from high school or something. But like, if they feel like that's the only person they can trust, like maybe that is the best person. <laughs> like you imagine our to, age. Yeah. Like, you know, I can imagine that. They're yeah, young. Like, they're literally young. The, I mean, I thought about this. I'm like, the majority of the NBA is now my age or younger, which is crazy to say. Like, there are players in the draft that were not yet in high school when I graduated high school. That's crazy to me. But that's just the reality, right? And they are, yeah, these are super young kids, and it's like you're expecting so much of them. And a lot of them, like, they don't even have really normal, like, childhoods because so much of the time is dedicated to playing AAU, playing travel ball, like, working with trainers. Like, that's sort of their whole thing. And so, Or they're playing completely different sports. Like, or they're, like, yeah. you know, a, a budding baseball or uh, football prospect. And then and so much of their so much of their start of the careers, what you're saying, uh, it reminds me of Lenny Cook, the Safdie movie, uh, which is, like, one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Um, but it's just, like... And I don't the, need to infantize... Infant, it's, like, they're still adults. Like, I'm not saying, like... Uh, no, 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 yeah, I... Yeah. have to take care of them. But obviously, like, it's just a lot of... They just wouldn't know better. Yeah, like, I wouldn't know better. Yeah, it's the so. same thing when people become famous singers or actors, when they're, like, child actors. It's like, why do you expect these people to be normal human beings? Like, look at the level of attention and money that they have access to without any semblance of a normal life. Like, it's, like, it's a tough road. And, like, 
That's why it's important for them to I have can't, these kind of relationships. I can't stress enough how fucking stupid I was at 18. I was so stupid. One of the dumbest people <laughs> I've ever met. How stupid I am now. How right. I am now, even. Exactly. <laughs> but, like, imagine 18, an 18-year-old 18 just, like, here is, like, an insane amount of business decisions and personal decisions you have to make. And you have a 10-year – you basically have, like, a three-year window to make all these decisions or you're fucked. And it's crazy. Yeah. Especially when you take away the thing that is, like, their lifeblood, the thing that they love the most, the thing that mm-hmm. they probably get the most fulfillment. A lot of them get the most fulfillment out of, too. Like, people who are at that level, I would say the majority of them just, like, love playing basketball. And so, like, during something like a lockout, that's, like, such a difficult time. It's the same yeah. thing, I think, when – before the NBA came back and had the bubble, right? Players probably like didn't know what the hell to do with themselves. I'm sure that the time off was, you know, nice in some respects, but at the same time, it's like a lot of them are probably like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, a lot and also the bubble itself was a huge toll on the players. Like, you know, they were like just locked up in their rooms, didn't go any couldn't go anywhere. And these was, a lot of these players are social butterflies. And so it's yeah. It's interesting, man. It's like and you look at like the 2011 lockout, um, which I did a whole bunch of research before watching or right after watching because i've just realized i completely forgot all of the details about the 2011 lockout um yeah, that's crazy but a lot Do you of think guys thought... suddenly got were like signed right as the season was starting and they had spent the whole time with no team and it was like they had to go play overseas they are like i need to make income and i also need to compete playing so i'm gonna go play in the ukraine or whatever or like i'm gonna go hmm. play in spain for like right. uh, like uh, and i will because... say i will say wnba players have to do this all the time anyway regardless oh, of whether sure. they're things in season which is a whole other separate thing but that yeah. yes because they don't get paid nearly <laughs> enough um yeah. like jesus christ they don't get paid um but the idea of what was i saying but yeah like in 2011 they didn't know when the lockout was going to end they kept it kept pushing people they were like they were going around in circles Derek fisher and the owners did they just kept they didn't like, have andre holland to fix it you know <laughs> like two, exactly. three, three days and he solved the lock that, that's the part i was like all they needed out of, this is insane <laughs> all they right, needed was right, ray right. burke at a press conference and it'll be all set you know? it's like, <laughs> yeah no yeah but like a lot of those players just didn't know what they were going to do for the next few months like uh, some in uh, like role players like fucking you know speaking of mike miller or whatever like randy foy or whatever those you know just what am i going to do i need money I have all of these payments I have to make because I was expected I was going to make this fixed income for this amount of years. Well, and then also you're, you're in a community and like a social bubble that like, there's a certain expectation of the type of lifestyle that you're supposed to lead. Right. Absolutely. Because of that, it makes it even harder to save money and to live frugally because it's like, well, if all the other guys are going and doing this thing, like I want to be a part of this and it sort of makes you feel like you're a real player and a member of the league and everything. And it's, it's a, and like they said, like the lockout doesn't affect the LeBrons and the Durants and the Stephs. Like the stuff that that affects are the role players who are sort of on the fringes. And um, you know, part of me also is like, it's not like these people are like on the unemployment line. Like right, 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 right. Getting they don't need food stamps, but it is difficult to be in that environment where even if it's, you're making more money than the average person, like when in relation to the other players, people in your field, like it is so much less. And so it's like it's a struggle for those people to find out. Um, where their place is, especially, and especially like rookies who are just coming to the league and have no idea what their life is supposed to be like, what it's going to be like, sort of post college or post high school or post uh, Europe or anything. Um, it's it's a tough thing to navigate, and so I think it's like we should be more, I think, commending it when people do end up prospering and, and doing things in a sort of like like LeBron is such a rare case of like someone who like right. did not re like sure you could say the decision or but didn't really make 
any mistakes from when he was in high school to now. It's kind of insane. And he's legitimately like a good person. And that's like insane kind of because of the history in, yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, Michael Jordan was not a good person. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, and he's like, he was the figurehead of the sport and one of the most popular person, like most popular like celebrities. That was a different time where I, where I think it was easier for that to happen because. Oh yeah, of course. So no much social less media. Access. Right. So course. much less access and you're not hearing and. Uh, Absolutely. Hear about, like, you know, all these like little ins and outs, which is honestly what makes sort of the modern players who, who do come through unscathed even more impressive to me in a lot of ways. Um, and I do and wonder, I, like, after this movie, like, where does Eric go? Is he unscathed? Like, does he make mistakes without Ray? And, like, there's so many unanswered questions because, like, a lot of Soderbergh I, endings I, really I, I does leave it ambiguous. At some point, Clay, did, was this supposed to be, like, a Ben Simmons thing? Like, he's this guy from LSU who was, like, a top two pick in the draft and, like, is sort of enigmatic. Although, I guess Ben Simmons probably did not have the passion for basketball that Eric Scott seems to have. But what do you think is, like, the analog to Eric Scott as far as... I like, was trying to figure out, because they say, like, a New York team, so they could be mentioned... They, it could have been the Nets or the Knicks, because they never say mm-hmm. the Nets, Nets or Knicks. I was assu- I assume the they Nets. Never say the, they they never say the NBA, right? No, they I say that's... I, I think. Oh, okay. I think no, they 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 refer to it as the league. That's why. Yeah, they yeah. They're very. Vague oh, about it. yeah, yeah. I don't think they had. I don't think they had rights to say any of the specifics. That's why. Yeah, exactly. Owners. Yeah, they don't mention any other teams. Like, there's no like they re- refer to like like LeBron, Steph, and Durant. Those are just like famous figures. They just say they the league. You're right. Players. I didn't even yeah. think about that. Oh my god. Yeah. They never say the CBA. Like, there's a reason. Like, right, 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 right. They right. would say it would be called the CBA, not just like exactly. Other, right. And so interesting circumvent yeah that, i think yeah. because they probably huh. don't have the ability to, they don't want to get sued yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. NBA would not love this portrayal of some aspect <laughs> oh no oh no <laughs> so, especially yeah. if they took inspiration from donald sterling like come on like no they they were not a fan of this um for the player comp i don't it's interesting because like it seems like uh the other player from philadelphia who's playing on the same team is like the, it, it, they're butting for the same position um at yeah, least yeah 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 which is not something that really happens if you're like you understand if you picked you didn't like do but you didn't like pick two point guards in the first round. It's like, not the 2009 Timberwolves, I think, is what you're trying to say. Like, right, that's not the vibe. it's not a Ricky Rubio Johnny Flynn situation. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's not there's no literal analog, but I just thought it was funny when it was like he was a Simmons could be it from, for sure from from LSU that sort of has like is sort of like not necessarily surrounded by the best people as far as like advice wise and everything i just was like huh there are some parallels there that i think i find interesting especially Mm -hmm. obviously he's playing for a new york team but like the fact that the other guy's from philly there's a philadelphia right connection i think that was in the air and you look at what happened look look at what happened with ben simmons now and it's like it's all about narrative it's all about like he didn't control he's in new york right exactly you know it's (laughs) it's crazy and I love that McCraney is such an intelligent writer that doesn't have to be an analog in order for it to get its point across or, or no, no, uh, no. in order for it to be relatable. Um, like it could be a, a composite of like a, a few different players or someone like really it's more niche. interesting if yeah. it is. If it's just exactly. Specific, yeah. Like it would not be interesting. I think. We brought up that this is in New York. And I also want to mention that I love the way that the movie, I mean, the movie looks great. We can maybe get into the iPhone look a little bit more, but it's just, the weather, I think it's like very, it's a very specific shoe because obviously it was right. shot in like the dead cold February, but I think it's like the iPhone gets at something where it's like, there's no snow on the ground yet, but like the air is freezing 
and uh, everyone's like bundled up and uh, it, you can tell that the great indoors coach. are like very heated uh, it, great it, i think it it raises the the sense of urgency when people are walking outdoors like, yeah, I gotta yeah. get to the next place i got to get in the office i got to get in the bar yeah yeah. yeah 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 everything's sped up the dialogue the yeah. movements yeah. the camera yeah. it's all like let's go everything's in a rush when, when the, yeah when uh, when sam like jumps into the car yeah. um, with Mira, with myra like yeah. also this is the thing i read the plot synopsis after i have seen this movie like 3 times now I never got the implication that she's Ray's ex-wife. I never mm-hmm. understood this. I was yeah. going to mention that because I don't, <laughs> I don't, I can't, it's, I kind of don't believe that. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've, I've, it was one of those things where I'm like, did I just not watch carefully? Did I not like understand what they know, were saying? It's like, she's also clearly married to a woman. Right. It's like, what's that situation? I guess he does at one point sort of mention like being a surrogate father or something, but I'm like that. I don't. I don't know that whole thing. I thought that was like a joke. Be a dumb right. Thing, but I was, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I didn't understand. I didn't get that at all. So I've although I would watch the together together version of this movie <laughs> where it's Andre Holland's <laughs> character. Yeah, <laughs> where it's where it's Ray and and Myra, you know, trying to have a child together. Where would Patty Harrison fit in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, Patty Harrison as the owner. Of the show, <laughs> She's the Glenn Fischler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Great Glenn Fischler role. Or, uh, of Fischler? course, always great. I say Fischler, but, you know. Whatever, he's great. I love him all the same. Big, bald, big, bald guy. I, yeah. yeah that's, Such great. an intimidating presence, uh, you know, just great everything. But uh, also always kind of pathetic, like, ugh. Mm, you know, it's right, like, right. fucking scum. I mean, I love him, but and, he's scum. He plays characters who don't realize they're pathetic either. Oh no, it's yeah, it's faux yeah. macho. Like Absolutely. the most vulnerable character he's almost ever played was uh, mm. Barry. Uh, Barry, but like <laughs> even then, yeah, it's still right. like faux macho. Yeah. Like I am evil guy, but you're like, yeah, you're pathetic though. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and he's he's in here for like what, a what scene. Is, yeah. Clay, what did you think of the choice of the three players to have the interstitial interviews with? It felt. It's funny because at the time Reggie Jackson really felt like such an outlier, but now post exactly. like twenty twenty one playoffs, it's like honestly, he feels like a legit enough player that it's like okay, it's not as weird, right? And he's yeah, and he's had a bizarre career arc um in general. But the Donovan Carl are very much, you know, like they're same same side of the but coin. But it's it interesting because like. it's not players that necessarily feel like faces of player empowerment. Like I feel like there are people that's, who get that I think that's why it's good. Obviously, yeah. Like tied to that. But then again, this is sort of dr- drilling home that like every player has this on their mind and that this matters to them all in some but maybe just not outwardly in the same kind of way that it would. Like it's not LeBron, you know, and the same sort of like I mean I doubt that he that's the sort of overpower the movie, I think. Like it would just be too much. I think for the movie to pick, but like I wonder what yeah the alternative version of this if you were trying to get more specific about player empowerment slash like players who are more faces of the league because as much as they are great players who are like all stars and all NBA candidates like they're but they're not flashy they're not like they're not like flamboyant like they don't have they don't they're not wearing the craziest outfits they're not on Twitter saying the craziest things well Donovan Mitchell the rookie year when there was the whole thing with him and Ben Simmons the rookie of the year thing that was sort of a big sort of news that's true you know and he and he mentions it. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. How that sort of totally derailed him the next season because I definitely was something I noticed. I was like, wow, he's kind of terrible in his second year. Um, but I thought those <laughs> inter- those interviews were interestingly placed in the movie because they sort of just felt like little. They almost felt like in when Harry met Sally when they interviewed the Mary. That couple. is the comp. Yes, that's the comp um, comparison I made as well. And I was like, mm-hmm. I wonder, yeah, like what why Soderbergh felt like this was um, necessary to put in here, like the drive home and sort of the themes of the movie. 
I, 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 I think I, I also just think there's an, I, if, since there's like no, it's not like hustle where there's NBA players galore in the film and you know, or there's NBA players playing fictional characters or whatever. Uh, it you know everyone in the actual movie is no one compares the uh, Eric Scott to an animal you know no... <laughs> that's very true um, yeah. so I think it's one of those things you got to put a, you got to put a face and a name to the actual issue and like I think you said that earlier mm-hmm. Paul but I think that's the importance of it, it kind of grounds you in the mid, like you're watching this like very high paid like, you know that almost is film. a workaround for not mentioning the teams or the NBA exactly. by name. It's almost like it then it oh okay this is a real NBA story whereas it's not like as directly it's not like oh he's wearing a Knicks shirt when he's in his apartment or whatever. Right. It, it's eating your kid it's you know ha- having your kid and eating it too. It, it, it's very much the idea of like kind of working around those stipulations. But also something genuine, something very much like authentic. This is Reggie Jackson's experience. This is Cat's experience. This is Donovan's experience. Um, and they're all, I, I think, and they were, I mean, Reggie, I think was late lottery or was he early lottery? I think it was late lottery. Uh, no, no, no. He was, uh, I think right post, I think he's like the 15th pick or something. Right. Okay. So I, so it, it's kind of player, I mean, there's no second rounders, but they're players drafted in kind of different positions and had different expectations coming in. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think Cat was viewed as the savior of the Timberwolves, and like this is their new era. I mean, I think he was a pretty resounding first overall pick. Actually, I was wrong. Reddy Jackson was like the end of the first round. Um, <laughs> end of the first round, yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. but I think I, I think Cat did have that sort of status as like the number the guy of the draft. Like, exactly, he was first overall, pretty pretty resounding. And so that's a that's a different expectation than uh, was Donovan wasn't what was he like 30, mid 13, like I think exactly so. I like. I think that's a really good. Um, it gives you a larger picture and larger understanding of the experience that these players or the expectations these players come in with, and what and how that weighs on them. Um, and also, Cat, like we talked earlier, talks about who you can trust um, and how that's such a cute. Imagine kind of being that paranoid too, at, when you're like happy, like you know, you're achieving one of the greatest dreams anyone could ever achieve. But you're also like, who the fuck can I trust? But anyone you meet, anyone new you meet is like, but do they even care about me as a person, or is this just about their potential? That's so fucked. Mm. Like socially, yeah. Like, how do you, and like, like you're just starting people? a career, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, like, of, of course, like, like we said before, like the parallels between uh, um, basketball and uh, film are very apparent. That it's just this yeah. is just a huge just system that is impossible to navigate to unless you have like such a heightened awareness and the people to really support you throughout all this uh or we just tear it all down and like start from anew which like the the movie has just like so much on its mind about yeah, all what that do you, yeah. what do you guys i mean places especially but what do you think about that idea of like the players having their own sort of like get like selling sort of streams of like high level nba players playing in like competitive like in if it was like the bubble when the NBA had sort of like Probable. stepped like had yeah. sort of ended like during like during COVID like would like do you think people would have paid for like one on one games with like actual NBA players like to watch that sort of stuff or do you think that wouldn't matter because it doesn't have the apparatus of like having the legacy and stats and standings and awards and stuff like that? I, it I, depends. Yeah, I, oh, I, I would okay. say it depends as well. Uh, I'll, I'll shortly have a shorter answer. Uh, that it's this thing that like because their uh, name recognition can sell, can sell so well, like Ray was explaining, um, people just show up for, for names. I, I don't know 
the production of the NBA really just it sells it, but I don't think it's the only thing that can sell it. Um, right. Uh, if like the uh, the pickup game that um, that Eric had uh, that was filmed on on the iPhones, like I, <laughs> the iPhone film the iPhone, uh, you know, that that'd be fine. I don't, I don't see a reality where that doesn't work just because like people just tune in for what have you, especially the players just, but obviously the player popularity definitely like does determine the viewer count. Well, it depends on the players, obviously. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to pay for, to watch Contavious Caldwell Pope and Wes Matthews play each other. Well, like, I don't think if, if the NBA had a lockout right now and it was like Jabari Smith and Paolo Bencaro had like some one-on-one game, do you think that would be a thing that people would pay to see? I think it would be kind of what the WNBA... Or actually, right now, if if you relate the social media stuff right now, if there was some sort of thing with John Draymond or something with, like, Clay and Darren Jackson, like, if right. you know, there's the existing sort of online beef already, like, do you think that people would be excited to watch those people kind of go at it, like, on, like, a, in a 1v1 kind of situation? Jaw, for sure. I mean, very exciting yeah. electric player. Draymond is very polarizing and very controversial. So you have these players who could definitely do that. I mean, I think it's kind of what the big three was kind of supposed to be, the big three league. Bit, yeah. But it's just it, – it's former NBA players or players who just can't get into the league anymore. Um, and it's – I mean, yeah, there's I some – int- you know, Are you familiar with this? But, like, Ice Cube has this whole league where it's basically players who are just past their prime and who have just retired. They play three-on-three basketball, and it's like a sort of – it's a slightly more amateurish kind of version but it sort of had it has a bit of a following, I'd say. But it's just it's obviously not on the level of. And this is separate from the NBA. Absolutely, totally okay. his own business venture. It's like guys who are like, like, early, like late thirties, early forties who have oh, wow. you know yeah. left the league two or three years ago, or hmm. maybe longer than that. That's pretty right. cool. It's kind of interesting because they are yeah. still big names from when they played, but they're obviously just like a little, a little more out of shape. And I bet it like obviously levels the playing field because like they're all the same age and not competing with like yeah, people a decade older or younger. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone's pretty out of shape and it's kind of a hilarious thing to watch. Right. So, and if anyone was truly good, they would just be in the back of the NBA. <laughs> like they wouldn't yeah, like, yeah. if anyone was um, doing too well, yeah, it would be like, Oh, like Joe Johnson was on there and then he was in the actual NBA last year. At one point. Right. Exactly. That's crazy. Um, yeah, but I think that all, I think, I don't know many people would pay for it. I don't think it could be like UFC payment, like premium shit. Mm-hmm. It's more like what the WNBA is doing with some games. Cause you know, unfortunately WNBA isn't as, um, isn't as lucky to get, you know, the random ESPN or, I mean, they do get aired on ESPN, but don't have enough access to tell, you know, televised uh, games as the NBA does. So Facebook TV is doing that. And that's completely free. Twitter. It's hard when, when you haven't been on those big platforms for such an extended amount of time. That's why I think hockey took such a hit in the U.S. in the last 10 years because it wasn't on major networks. And now that it's back, I feel like the surge, in, it's kind of surged in popularity because it's just visible. Like, just right. being there is enough. Like, there's like curling is on ESPN. A lot of people probably watch curling now because it's just on. And they're like, oh, you know what? That actually is, is for them kind of entertaining to, to see. So it's kind of interesting that like if you just have the ability to be seen by more people, then there's a possibility that you could sort of get so a, a kind of viewership from. I think I think the thing that Ray proposes the one on one v one you know like narrative um, backed basketball is. I mean, in a way, it's almost making it into professional wrestling. Not like they're fixed, but like very much narrative driven. 
here is this yeah. guy, you know, they talked, they beefed on Twitter. Uh, there's like, <laughs> they have a lot of pride in it. Uh, you know, if they lose, it's going to be embarrassing, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, can't, I can't wait for Brandon Ingram to come in with a steel chair. <laughs> Jose Alvarado could already be a, uh, like a, a, res- a, a wrestling character. Yeah. Just like, st- like literally just like, nope, yoink, out of nowhere. He just comes out of yeah. nowhere, smashes someone. Um, wait, pause. I, I, Who's the guy um, in John Wick Chapter 3? He could do that, like the theatrics. Boban Marjanovic. Uh, um, okay. Marjanovic. Yeah. Mar- sorry, Boban. I'm sorry. Um, I saw him in a commercial only, recently, and, well, I, and only, I thought of only, you. As we as we found out in Hustle, he's only twenty, so he's got a lot. A long he's to so go. good in that movie. Oh, he's huh? hilarious. The whole yeah. when he waves off Trey is an incredible. Weapon. <laughs> the secret pickup. I had a convert. Like, no, 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 I, I, I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast before, or maybe I just talked to Jack in particular. I had a conversation with my uncle yesterday. It's like it is crazy that a man who has barely played like actual minutes in the last year or two uh, in the NBA, like he's a bench warmer certifiably has more media attention than most NBA players. <laughs> yeah. He's been in two he's been in two like pretty widely seen movies. He's another twenty nineteen. Like yeah. a, a regular commercial. Yeah. Like he has Fast- he does a commercial of Tobias Harris. He's in more commercials than Tobias Harris. Wow. Like overall. Yeah. Um it's almost as though like how you describe him uh to me like uh, basketball is like a side hustle. <laughs> At this point, he and my uncle compared him to Andre the Giant. And I think that's you know the charisma and the, also the novelty the of no, Andre the Giant was like considered like the best wrestler in the world. So I no, that's true. A little different, but his media presence and but no, I agree. Like he's nowhere near as popular and also like as good. But as honestly, he, was. he is weirdly kind of. I mean, I do think he's kind of underrated as a player. Like he's not just a joke player. Like no, 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 no. He has limita- certain limitations, but he's like a super skilled like. If he got minutes, he would put up numbers. Like he is a super skilled offensive player who is just huge. It's just he'd like, be an instant double double. Like mm. just 10, 10 points, ten re- or if he was, eight on, points, if he was getting rebounds. Isaiah Roby's minutes on the Thunder last year, like he probably would be putting up like fifteen. <laughs> he'd be in the All Star game. He'd be in the All Star <laughs> game. <laughs> he probably might be voted in just because of popularity and name recognition alone. Everyone likes him. If he can, everyone get, uh, likes if him. He can just get a member of BTS to like back his social media campaign for all right then he, he's like going. andrew wiggins too can also start in the all-star game right oh, uh, <laughs> but andrew. but one person that we've haven't really talked about in this movie though is i think is um zazzy beats and her character which i think is sort of an interesting connective piece where she's sort of the the person tying all these different people together right? which um sort of to a point on like agents and managers in the sporting industry it's in ways also similar to that in the film industry um my agents are great, <laughs> but I'm, um, you know, you know, as a creative, there are often things happening sort of above your head that you're not aware of, um, sort of games and things being played for your benefit or for your agency's benefit or so that the studio is happy or whatever that, um, you know, you're kind of, you're reading a script and you're like, no, but then, you know, they have to kind of make sure that it doesn't come across so strong or whatever, but... Um, I feel like there are many people that uh, complain also about agents or managers getting in the way of the creativity and of the work and the integrity of the work because there are always all these other things at play using creatives or using these young um, athletes as pawns for their own game or for their own kind of um, financial benefit, which, you know, I don't know, you could see that 
like in the NFL with the owners, you know, sort of moving players around different teams against their will. And um, I think, you know, obviously the film sort of plays in that sort of sense as well of um, ownership of body, ownership of image, um, whether or not you have the right to that because you have, again, been paid to be here. So, um, yeah, I think there are sort of like crossovers with that as well. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and she starts out as his assistant, and there's that whole hilarious scene where he's on the phone, and she's like trying to tell him stuff, and he's like not hearing it, and then she's like, by the way, like I'm leaving. He's like, why didn't you tell me this? And she's like, <laughs> you're on the phone. And it was like a whole, was a whole kind of back and forth. And this was a, like at the moment where I really thought she was going to be like, and then obviously there's still time, and she's been in big movies, mm -hmm. but I thought like this was going to be her huge breakout, right? Because I'm like, She's about to be in Joker, like yeah, of course, I was yeah. at the point where I was like, that could still be good. Um, <laughs> Richard T. It yeah. just hasn't, it hasn't quite happened for her on the in the in movie roles yet. Which obviously it's weird to say because she's in Deadpool too, she's in Joker, like she's in this. Like nine days is not a big deal, but she's really good in it. But like she's really good. It's in it. interesting that she has not because I think like on Atlanta she's incredible and like she's about to be in Bullet Train like, this year. Oh that's god, true. yeah. I don't mm -hmm. know if that's. I mean. I, like I was just thinking of movie roles off the top of my head, though. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's a that's a good thing, but um, <laughs> the train's going too fast. She has, she has such screen presence and charisma, and like specifically on Atlanta, it's also like one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And so it's crazy to me that she has not hit in the same way, even though she's getting big roles. But I think it's maybe, hopefully, only a matter of time before she sort of pops off in a real kind of distinctive way. She was in the mm -hmm. Netflix movie uh, "The Harder They Fall." the Jonathan oh Majors, yeah that's right. yeah i still haven't seen yeah. it I mean, she's in invincible like she's in a lot of stuff right but it's just like it doesn't feel like her like there's no vehicles for her though not, sure right, yeah yeah right know her name. she's right. never a franchise like, or oh, have, yeah. people would yeah. probably just call her van more than they would call her zazzy beats right? yeah and she was like a superhero in a very high grossing movie but people still aren't like familiar yeah. like it it's interesting yeah she was yeah her superpower in joker was uh <laughs> <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, I, I will say she did have a run of like really crazy things where it was like she was in Slice, which seemed like it was going to be a big thing. Like it was like an A24 movie with like Chance the Rapper, and then it yeah. didn't happen. And then she was in Seaberg. That didn't happen. She was in Wounds, which I thought was going to be a thing at Sundance. That was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, she's like in Lucy in the Sky. So all these yeah, wow, could yeah. be big things. Yeah, like, like they look good on Seaberg, paper. Yeah wounds slice like that all seems interesting on paper but it really just like yeah. did not happen i feel like it's just one of those things where it's like it's like a ticking it's a timer at this point like what there's gonna be a project where she's like oh okay now and even even on invincible like one of my favorite shows the last few years she's like the character that people hate <laughs> she's like yeah she's like pretty widely disliked i think by a lot of people in the sort of fan base whether it's right like, yeah it's like a very much like a supporting character for sure yeah i yeah, I think it's just that it, it it just has to be that one thing. There has to be it, the domino has to fall at with that with the and one movie still, and like, it'll be fine. It's crazy. She's still only like thirty. Like yeah. she's way younger than I think I even realized. And so it's like there's obviously still tons of time for her. I just like would love to see her in this era of her life and career, like get the sort of roles that she sort of deserves. I think and that she's really qualified for it. Mm -hmm. And especially with how McCraney wrote Sam, like. Uh, she gets to do a lot more than we may assume. Like yeah, she becomes it's a lot weird more that, like important. as the supporting, uh, she's literally playing the assisted character mm. in like a, a mostly boys basketball drama, but still is given more to do than 
Joker and all these other movies. Yeah. Like it seems like you would think she would have sort of a bigger chance to sort of break out even more. It feels like she's given, Sam has given more of a presence than Eric at some points. No, oh, I for sure. I think she's more active in the movie. Eric is more of just like a figurehead. In the movie. Exactly. Like, yeah. And it's funny because Bill Duke's character would never approve of, of using him in this way, but it's almost like he's used as a cipher, right? Like he's yeah. not really a, a, like the, like a, like highly dimensional person. It's he's a, not an active participant in player. his own story. He's like yeah. yeah, he's like a yeah. stand-in. For he's him. not a revolutionary. Like yeah. it, that's not that's yet. what if he reads the book at the end though. Mm. Yeah. Now the Bible that transitions yeah. to I, I meant I think before we started recording there is a direct connection to this movie, uh, to a previous <laughs> film we've covered <laughs> and that film I mean I'm if, if people can't I tell it, by my inflection it's air quotes um OJ made it in America I think it's a film. Yeah, we we went over that. We went over that. one of the main people they interview to get gainer Harry or Ed, is Harry, Harry Edwards is like Harry Edwards, the the person they you know to like truly explain the political context of athletes at the time. Part an embarrassing revelation here. Part one is I thought that um, the people versus OJ and like uh, like I thought that the Ryan Murphy thing was the same. <laughs> what was this the Oscar winning documentary for the like for for like over two years? And it was recently that I came to realize that's not true. And also, I've not seen OJ Made in America, so obviously, very good. It's a bit of an embarrassing two. Well, it's and I, I think it's things where I would love. Yeah. I think it's I'm sure it's incredible. It, yeah. um, but it's one of those funny things where I mean it's different too because I think I like because I'm such a crazy sports fan. Like I am sort of already more inundated with the story around it than I, than most people probably. For sure, yeah. The thirty, the thirty for thirty, which is like June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four, or whatever. Um, but I do want to see it. But anyway, sorry. But that does make sense that you uh, you mix them up because it's it is the same year coincidentally. And it's that's, like, I literally yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was one project. Oh yeah. I, thought, I was like, how did it win an Emmy and an Oscar? I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I was and I was like, wait, but there are actors in it. But how did it win best documentary? I remember at the time I was like, this is baffling. I have no idea. And, then, um, and here I am, years later, looking like an idiot on a podcast. Cuba like, Gooding won Oscar number two for it. <laughs> that's I was like, what is going on? Here? I never understood it. But Harry Edwards, so he was in, interviewed in O.J. Made in America because a lot of O.J. Made in America, I mean, we talked about it on the podcast, yeah. it's all about giving context to everything about O.J. It's like Yeah, it's like even if you know the story, watching it unfold for eight hours truly like recontextualizes everything. It, but it's like, okay, L.A., this is the origin of Where did L.A., come this from? is what happens in L.A. Like, it's all much like the con, like they give you yeah. an insane amount of context to anything you could ever even think of that even kind of relates to the OJ incident. Uh -huh. so I think I even make on. the, I think I even make the joke on the episode. Like what if uh, uh, OJ made in America, but it's told from the perspective of his neighbor. Like, <laughs> it's like taking Woodstock, but OJ made in America. It's like... Absolutely. <laughs> Harry Edwards is brought in to discuss the, taking the it's called taking the Bronco. It's called... <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, Harry Edwards is brought in to discuss the political context, uh, especially because he is one of the main originators uh, or orchestrators of the Black Power Fist at the Olympics in 60, 68. 68. Um, he was one of the people uh, the two athletes talked to and um, uh, figured out what was the best way to put out Tommy the message. Smith, Tommy Smith, John Carlos are the two athletes. Right. 
Um, and he is one of maybe the most um, important academics when it comes to the comes to the uh, connection, basically the Venn diagram of civil rights and athletic sports. And um, yeah, you know. in school we st- we read this, we read the book that he gives him at the end of this, of the end of the movie. Like we read it and like went through it. That was just part of like part of my or education on the path to become like a sports agent and stuff. Like that was part of the, our hmm. Wow. I think people will like, oh, the, you know, it calling things the Bible, like, oh, it's a Bible. I think maybe is overused sometimes. And also everyone just assumes that's exa- an exaggeration. And in, mm-hmm. in some cases it is. Um, but that is for this con, for the theme of the film, for the discussion of uh, the commodification of black players the connection it has to pretty much everything about the uh, systemic racism in the origin of this country uh, and how it is very much a labor dispute, not just any, it's not, sports isn't, sports doesn't make it that different than just the entire commodification of black people in America by, you know, mass corporations. Um, It is a Bible in every sense for that topic and for the, one of the biggest themes of the film. Um, so he's very much an important figure. Uh, I love that they brought him in at the end. I think that's really cool. Um, and it, it just, it also made me learn about Harry Edwards. When I watched him, I didn't know who that guy was. I, I knew that was a reference to something. I knew there was mm-hmm. something important about him being in the film, about that book being such a big part. And so I read up on it and I learned. And of course, and you know, I also, you know, I learn again, anytime he speaks, he's, insanely smart and eloquent and has so much to say that I think gets lost on a lot of players now, or not players, sorry, uh, people nowadays about the uh, idea of the player and its connection to race. Um, and it's never been more important. Uh, and so I think he's a, he's very foundational and I'm glad they paid respects to him because he deserves yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and on top of all that, I guess uh, McCraney he's was introduced. He's a very tall guy. Yeah, uh, absolutely. He was introduced to the book, um, like after he was signed on to write this. Like I think during production or like during he, his writing of the script. And it's like the fact that he didn't have it in mind while they were developing the idea is like super interesting. That it like played a played a role later on than we already maybe assumed it would. I love the quote that um, uh, Soderbergh gives. Uh, about working to Netflix, because I think it's just super interesting. Um, I'd been in conversations with Netflix during production of Unsane, uh, and when I ended up going a different way, they said, I have this other thing, and then you can get your eyes on High Flying Bird when I'm working on it in, er- in early uh, pre-production. When it was basically finished, I brought it to Netflix and said, great, we'd like to buy it. The kind of film it is, the best way to maximize the eyeballs on it. Um, and then I said, we better... Um, otherwise it's a slow rolling platform release, which you, which are expensive and, uh, you're bound up by the art house theaters and they just can't go that way. I'd rather just, no, it's basically talking about like the freedom they, that, uh, Netflix gave them it. Well, he's always had that quote. He's kind of flopped around to different companies and places, right? And yeah. like, for him, it doesn't seem like it's ever, he's never ever bound down to like a, uh, no. well, uh now, distributor HBO, Max is like HBO yeah I was just gonna say yeah yeah and we got Ma- Magic like Mike coming out later God. later this year yeah. theaters. God, I know yeah, yeah. so frustrating we'll see uh, I think well I think, think about the movie real 
Oh, wait, well, go ahead. It was, if your point was continuing about this, then, then, then this. I well, was it was just that the idea of he's always had that famous quote of if the movie bombs in the first two weeks to just hit that button and go put it straight to VOD because yeah. he's like, what's the point? Um, I and yeah. I've, it's so I think his relationship to streamers is very interesting because it connects to um, that idea and particularly HBO Max because they are now exploring. I think they're going to be committed to hybrid releases because the Batman did so well in both areas like it was yeah. still one of their be- better like best streaming uh premieres ever and it also made a ton of money in the box office i, I think, think that's they're... that's a hard one to go by because like the batman is going to be big on any platform any time it was released ever so I, like i would just be like not to give business advice to warner brothers but like <laughs> maybe don't base your business model on like well the batman did well so that means that you know um whatever the wonder 2 the you know the wonder sequel that they <laughs> had, that's gonna be great. and oh i know God. like some people uh, were comparing the Batman success to um, uh, TGM, Taco Maverick. And I know uh, like Perry Plus is trying to decide like when they would want to put it on their streamer. But then I think it's this idea like there was an I there was a a, a version of Top Gun Maverick um, that it might not have been the success that it is right now. And to compare those two is like a little weird to me. Tom Cruise belongs on the PP. You heard it here first from Jack Draper. <laughs> PP. One yeah. other part of the movie I did want TGM for PP that, uh, that yeah. I thought was interesting is the whole backstory about Ray and his cousin and the whole thing about how yes. his cousin was gay and did not disclose that. And there was the whole struggle of like whether that was the right thing to do. Um, and then like he sort of ends it by saying, yeah, like he does not regret like protecting his cousin because the conditions of the world were just not sort of not ready for him to be, to be able to, to come out like that. Right. Yeah. I just wonder like, what like how many times in sports history, right, have players had to sort of remain in the closet or not mm-hmm. been able to be their true selves? Even beyond something as simple as homosexuality, right? Like I'm sure there are many other aspects as well that players have been unable to come out. Maybe religion based or anything like you know non monogamy. Like it's interesting to think about like the aspects of a player that you'll never know about because like it would just go, it wouldn't go over well with the public, which is kind of sad to say. But like that stuff does kind of matter to their brand when like they're selling themselves right as yeah. themselves and their bodies and their image. And it's so fragile that things can turn on a dime. Right. And it's can, things can so easily flip from being like, you know, fruitful to, to being precarious for these guys in, in a business sense. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're selling themselves. And uh, the fact that they're so um, they're so unaware of this business that they're getting into at such an early age, all those things like combined, like make it so much harder. The fact that they, are un, they're just they just don't have the confidence to to come out or like or or yeah like you say like the the identity portion of of the NBA is like very very sad um you know I thought I thought of a movie we've covered uh inside Lewin Davis with with that part of Ray's backstory where it's like there's a whole other oh, yeah. movie to like be made uh, similar to Lewin's you know uh, partner in that movie and you know it's it's very interesting to see like they like when you learn that it's like, it brings a whole other like aspect of the melancholy to their performance. I, I think the only basketball player that I know of or NBA player that I know of who has come out as openly gay, uh, I might be missing one that, you know, like at least while they were still playing is Jason Collins. Um, and he announced that basically at the end of his career. Um, and after he announced it, he played for, I think one or two more teams. Um, you look at, NFL, Carl Nassib was like a huge story that just happened, right? And that's a league with 
fucking 50 player plus players on each team. Like that's, right. that's insane. And so the idea of, I, I, it's one of those hmm, with basketball and the uh, evolving nature of it, uh, whether it be social, political or otherwise um, I have, I can sometimes have an idea or what I kind of think will happen in the future or like, from just my prior experience, what experts say, and just the evolve, like I can kind of see where the game evolves to. I don't know with when it comes to uh, players coming out as gay. I have no idea. I don't know how not that changes. Get, like, like not to get too like sad and morbid, but it's crazy that like in it seems like as an athlete, it's it's better for your image to be like a convicted slap like abuser than it is to be gay. Or Adrian Peterson had a fl- flourishing career. After, after, um, what, what happened? You know, there's been players, I mean, and it's crazy because, like, even some of the nicest players in the league, CJ McCollum, love him. I, I, he's just one of the nicest guys. He's the head, head of the players union right now, I think. Um, he has homophobic tweets. Hmm. It, it's, it's one of those things. It's very much in, the league uh and i don't know how that evolves i have no idea um but like paul said it's true that you can be convicted of you know dog fights or um you know abuse of any kind like, you I, know, I, will abuse. Say, I think in the in the nba it is it's not that it's great but it's slightly better than in some certain other sports i think it's way better than the nfl, than the NFL. yes absolutely um, Again, even even sadder that it's like that's the bar. Yeah, no, it's like. I'm saying, but that's like when when that moment happened in the movie, right? When he's talking about his cousin's life, it's like you do sort of get to thinking. It's crazy the things that are and aren't accepted of these people as human beings, not even as athletes, right? Athletes, yeah. yeah. Beyond what's happening on the court, like why, like that people, it's like people don't care about (laughs) certain things that they do in a positive sense, and then. Like nobody cares about Demarcus Cousins opening, you know, children's hospitals in Sacramento, but like people do care about, you know, whatever other shenanigans people get into off the court. Right. He's he's a hothead. He's like he's a knucklehead or whatever, and it's just like, and that's how they describe him. That's his. He gets injuries, and he and he's a very passionate person. That is, that's that's what we label him as. Uh, I mean, is and this is just a broader discussion about sports in general and how we view players but um i but the thing is and the reason why i also love the movie and i and mm-hmm. i and i think in which by the way i i don't know if there's many other movies like we'll be able to cover that will offer this discussion so i think it's like no. kind of interesting how specific uh not only like how well made it is and like how it fits so well with like server's career and uh just like how intelligently realized it is but it's like when else are we gonna get to talk about this because like it's true also, what I, you know, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, go ahead. But. No, no, I, I just wanted to say, it was like, I, this is one of the, one of the biggest reasons why I, this is still my favorite Soderbergh post-retirement. Um, um, Interesting. Not, yeah, yeah. not yeah. of all time, but like. No, 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 post, yeah, yeah. That's certainly like an there's era. There's stuff like, I've missed. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's, and I, I guess, well, if I actually had to count Magic Mike XXL, I guess that would be my favorite, Um. But. Well, he did direct it, so I don't... Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> he shot it, he edited it, you know, it's close. Mm. I'm joking. Yeah, Marion Bernard edited it, and he didn't... No, I'm just kidding. No. Um, 
that's one of that's kind of one of the reasons for me too that I, I that I was excited to talk about this is I think this is a movie that's an avenue into a lot of topics that I mm. care about that might not necessarily come up otherwise right on this same on this podcast right and it's like um, you know we, I guess we could talk about Uncle Drew <laughs> but it's really that desperate. Um, <laughs> oh, fine all right if you want to go back to 2018 yeah, I, movies that bad I guess we could Jesus yes, this guy exactly, exactly. oh my God um, can't you watch any other movies but no it's it's a uh, yeah, it's it's an avenue into a, a sport that I care a lot about, and mm-hmm. I think there's so much nuance to the sport, not just as a business, but as an entertainment product and how it relates to, to humanity, right? And I think it's such a good window into the way that we see celebrity, too, at the same yeah. time. It's like the way that we treat people on these certain types of platforms and what we expect and don't expect from them. And, um, Soderbergh is just so good at getting into the nitty-gritty of these kinds of worlds, right, and giving you sort of this, like, and making it specific, like, not yeah. making it so broad that there's nothing for it to hang together um, and it just feels like it really has that tangible feel of like you're you're a part of it you're not just witnessing it from far like the inside outlook versus the outside in look that's like what makes sports movies special a lot of times for me and that's why absolutely ball is great it's because it's like you're following the people not like the team right mm. I mean, that's like, it really is like so many of his movies too, where it's like these big global broad issues, like, uh, the war on drugs, uh, or, um, the invasion of privacy, like this, the invasion of pri- like the sports industry. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I was just going to repeat what you said. It's like, it always goes back to like the characters and like, even if the characters like don't make a change or like their lives aren't altered, like it's the slow, like micro steps that they take that it's like, that's the real uh, moral of the story that I think what Soderbergh the takes away. Of like what, what the like the moving parts are behind a lot of things that people only see in one specific way. That you don't consider a lot of the aspects of any of these, you know, what are to most people products. Um, you don't. A lot of people don't think about the human element, right? Which is like sort of what he, I think, thinks absolutely so effectively. Like even Magic Mike. Like oh uh, yeah, I was just gonna say people. <laughs> right. It's like, like yeah, not how many same humanized male strippers. Like that's not also, a ton. Yeah. Also, the girlfriend experience too. Like around the same era. But, mm-hmm. yeah. okay. Um. Or, I guess I guess that'll lead us into like um, because we covered Moneyball. Love that you shouted that out. And um, we all know that the the one better than this and Moneyball is Draft Day. No, um, but I guess like we can talk a bit about uh, twenty ten sports movies, and like, oh yeah, if these are like the peak, like because like they're just such rich dramas that feel timely and timeless to their uh, releases in twenty eleven and twenty nineteen, but also just like can watch forever. Creed just... and Warrior, come on, oh, without my head. I'm right, a sucker yeah. for Warrior. I mean, yeah. I, I assume we're not. I, I assume we're just not saying everybody wants some because it's so clearly it, it, right. That's that. yeah, yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. I haven't um, seen it. I haven't seen it. Well, get your five stars ready. How yeah. are we? How are we friends? <laughs> and I'm a white wrestler too. <laughs> I would say, Paul, you know, you know, you're on the schedule for everybody wants some. Like eventually, like you're that's if yours. Does any podcast where yeah. everybody wants some, and I'm not on it. I will. Yeah, that's that's you. Legal, yeah. legal activities. <laughs> but no, I would say that 2011 is a different era of sports movies. Like, I still love the sort of grandiose broadness of stuff, like, in the 80s, like, Bull Durham. And oh, Central. yeah. Like, I just love this sort of big movie star. Like, because besides, like, Brad Pitt and Moneyball, a lot of modern sports movies don't have the big name movie stars. And, like, look, Kevin Costner in 2015 is not Kevin Costner in 1988. Like, that's mm-hmm. just a different sort of thing. Um, I, I do love, though, that modern that modern sports movies really get into the ins and outs and the details in ways that I think allow me to enjoy it more. Like, listen, I, I have lots of love for a lot of like 
kind of trashy sports. I love Joanna Man and The Sixth Man and all kind of you know <laughs> crazy basketball movies from the '90s and the 2000s. But these feel like they're really about minutia in a way. Um, I don't know why I said the word minutia so weird. Um, but I, <laughs> it's a weird I word. Think they really. Yeah. It it's it feels like it's funny enough like they're coming more from like real sports nerds, which is kind of mm, interesting. Right. Whereas yeah. I think a lot of the other movies were just big like people who were fans of the thing, but more from a sort of like a broad narrative perspective, right? This is more about like what is like the ins and outs. Um but I think that they it is like a really exciting time for, for sports movies just because like I feel like since a lot of the sort of classic things have been done, you can kind of get new angles on stuff. I do think the modern boxing movie is is in a bit of a rough spot. Um, oh yeah Creed. just because boxing's place in the culture i think is different now and so it's harder for people to because in theory it seems like the most cinematic sport but i just think like modern boxing movies and it was for a long time mm-hmm. um yeah i just think they've gotten pretty stale and repetitive um and creed's really the only sort of franchise set of movies that's the that outlier yeah itself apart from mm-hmm. And I like Creed too, but it's not like I'm going to say it's a great film. Sorry, or anything. The bru- bruised heads, get out of my mentions. I know <laughs> that all the bruised fans are going to be fired up about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that sports movies are Southpaw stands are coming for you. You've already had the signature movies in most sports at this point, and so now it's just about what other more specific stories we, we can tell about certain eras and the way that things are changing. Like since sports are changing so much, that's what gives so much more leeway to have sports movies that come out like every couple of years that feel totally different from the ones in. in even earlier on in the same decade. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, what do you think is the signature basketball movie? Mm. Um, I guess that's that's tougher. I mean, for me, it's Hoop Dreams. I know that's not like a basketball movie in the sense of... I think, no, I think I, that's the right answer. I would also say Hoop Dreams, but who am I, who, who am I, I to mean, say I, here? I, who am I to say? <laughs> I think, I mean, realistically speaking, it's probably like Hoosiers or something like that or White Man Can't Jump. Also, uh, love and basketball. I just adore, but that's like. I mean, again, like yeah. I have my favorite list. Listen, yeah. I I I like High School Musical more than I like a lot of like classic you know, basketball movies. But um, I would say that my, in my mind, it's probably Hoosiers, um, Teen Wolf, the two yeah. Sort of, sort of for basketball. Yeah. Or Air Bud. I don't know. Maybe yeah, like Teen Wolf, Air Bud. I mean, there's a lot to choose from. I'm but seeing. Even like, I mean, obviously, Uncut Gems is as much of a basketball course. movie. That's a great. That's a great point. That's a great <laughs> point. Also, I think Gems has the advantage of being a period piece, where it's like this one, of course, like tries to be of the moment. It's like it maybe, wasn't supposed maybe. to be. It was supposed exactly. to be modern yeah. day Joel Embiid. And, yeah. Uh, and then alterations came. Yeah. Yeah. They spent on. They spent a long time on that and, script. And it's crazy. And then Joel Embiid is not in Hustle. It's like he's he's, <laughs> he's, duck, he's running from the grind. Like you know, notably, no, he's notably yeah, not yeah. because they get every other sixer possible. It's like they it, don't it, get Joel at, at one point. I was like, is Charles Bassey going to be in this? Movie? Like Paul Reed going to be in this? <laughs> right, movie? Like, right, right. <laughs> it's like also Kyle they Lowry. Have, they have was... Seth Curry on the Sixers. He's not even on the. He wasn't even on the Sixers when the movie came out. Like no. he was already off the team. Like, it's <laughs> Kyle Kyle Lowry was just hanging with a bunch of Sixers. Like, why are you here, Kyle? Uh, yes. He's in like Philly. What do you mean? What do you oh, mean? that's right. But uh, okay, yeah, that's right. I always forget mm. that. It's, it's also it was just crazy because like, don't you didn't like you were kind of supposed to be a Sixer, not a Heat, but whatever. Well, it's during the summer. Like he's probably back home. It's right. the time of, around the time of the draft. It's probably like June. It's probably like around now, like a little earlier, maybe. Yeah, right. No, that's true. Um, it is interesting though. Like, well, I mean, to get to the point about like that whole nerd. 
nerd era of sports movies, Hustle is very much like Adam Sandler being a big fucking nerd about basketball uh, yeah. and like getting yeah. all of his guys. Like the amount like, of you think six- the studio exec is like, who is Wancho Hernan Gomez? Who right, right. I also, I also think Hustle cheeks in this film. Hustle also feels like something that was made in the era of the natural Bull Durham that he wanted to make a movie like that rather than playing yeah. ahead it's, of the genre. It's a little, bro- it's a little broad, right? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. It's like, which it's like, not a dig at the movie. It's just formula. yeah, just what I noticed. Yeah, but what? Well, no, it's like it's yeah. in a, it's such an effective version of that mm-hmm. like, for sure. That yeah, has a place. It's well made. Yeah, it it's almost a throwback sports movie in that sense. Mm, right? It's like right. sort of trying to. It's playing it very straight. Form. Yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's no sort of link, link, not, not aspect to it, except for like, I guess the Boban um, sort of humorous act. Right. I, I saw Clay agreed. Luca Doncic is, is like 10 seconds. One of the worst performances I've ever seen in my life. It's in so bad. <laughs> Jack, Jack, you might not know who Luca Doncic is, but he's the guy reacting to the viral video. And he's like, oh my God, this is amazing. Oh, crew. <laughs> oh, is that guy? guy? Oh, okay, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> literally like one of the five best basketball players living on the planet. Oh, really? One yeah. of the worst performances I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> That's awesome. And Anthony Edwards, on the other hand, yeah, is maybe yeah. the best performance I've ever seen from a, a, a professional athlete. Ray Allen, and he got game Yeah, I mean, that's right, like right, the default number great. one. He is yeah. amazing. But yeah. he is amazing. But he's amazing. I think, Ray, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, he just has the honor of being directed by Spike, you know, so it's like. Um, also, I mean, he is like just weirdly good, and I also just don't have never found him interesting in any other non basketball related content ever. Like post game interviews, I think Ray Allen's pretty boring. So oh, he's a boring person. Yeah. He's, so, he's, yeah. so he's a very boring person. <laughs> I love him, but he's boring. Um, My dad has yeah. a sign picture of ray allen in his office it's signed can i have it yeah. i'm surprised he yeah. still has it i feel like celtics yeah. fans renounced him like after the whole like yeah you know, weird, which is bullshit and, um, I, bullshit like but whatever hey I, I mean yeah. paul it seems like cage they're paul and kg are now cool with him so i guess all yeah. you know, all's well as ends well paul do you have a favorite scene of the movie yeah i i almost shot the, the jump the gun and mentioned it earlier but i would say that for me the the scene that honestly like made me really emotional is the speech that he gives of when he's stalling time for eric and he talks about his cousin and having your mango season mm, and hold yeah. on to the love for the game even if that never comes and like that to me it's like not you know it, it doesn't necessarily tie in thematically to the movie as much as i think some other moments do but i think that's such a lovely it's just like an incredible piece of acting by andre holland like, jesus mm. christ like just when he's like, when he's telling them to hold on to it, I'm like, man, I like. But before we hear from Eric, I would like to call up his agent and friend, Mr. Ray Burke. Ray, come on up. Come on, Ray. Come on, Ray. You got this, brother. You got it. How y'all doing? I say, how y'all doing? All right, all right. (laughs) Well, um, listen, y'all might notice that things are a little different this year. No cameras out here, just a a few journalists from the papers. And since we uh, got a little time, and Spence asked me to say something to the youth, I guess I'll speak on it. Is that all right? Is that all right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not from where y'all from. But this neighborhood's where most of y'all come from, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it didn't look like this when I was, when I was your age. Look more like the town that my people are from. My cousin is from. You know, I used to, uh, used to visit him every year in Jacksonville. And we would, uh, you know, do what cousins do. Play each other, dare each other to get better every summer. And I kept my part of the bargain. He did too. See, his daddy helped him even though we never met him. My cousin had a growth spurt one summer. Yeah, man. I went back down there the summer before high school and Gavin had been shot up to 6'6". Six, six. A mango season, they called it. All you need is a mango season and everything will change. And it did. Everybody was coming down there to see him play. Now, I guess that's the part where y'all expect me to say that I was jealous. Oh, I was. But not of him. Now, yeah, I couldn't be jealous of that fool. No, I was jealous of the cast that got to play him. Gavin loved, loved this game. He was thankful to God for his height and his talent, and, and then he lost all that. He lost that love, and then he left the game. He lost his life. Y'all don't lose that love, all right? Even if, your, even if your mango season ain't come, won't come, passed, Hold on to that love. It'll get you through. <clears throat> um, but I uh, want to introduce you all to somebody who hadn't lost that love and never will. And even though there's a whole bunch of talk going around about status on teams and whatnot, for, um, forget all that. Ain't no teams right now. So put your hands together and give it up for your backcourt king, Mr. Eric Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, can, you can absolutely see that as an example for the brilliance of Holland in this film. Like, because he almost switches into a different mode. Like it's a little desperate and like a little awkward, um, but also like there's that inherent confidence that he that he brings to a lot of films. Um, yeah. No, uh, it, he's him in passing. How was that not? Oh my gosh! Yeah, great film. Yeah, amazing. I know. It, it, I mean, that that movie just got like a raw deal because it's like it is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to defend like how it was Honestly, or I wasn't think he's the seen, best but part like, of the mo- I think he's the best part of the movie. Yeah, like, I know that people love the Ruth Negative performance. I, but, like, yeah. I think he's so good. And like, yeah. oh, he's always great. incredible. He, he should be. I think. I think that passing performance is a role where it's like, this could be anybody, but he, he so elevates it. Um, he got yeah. me to watch the first season of Castle Rock, that motherfucker. <laughs> he, 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 he got me to watch that shit in one of the yeah. worst endings I've seen for a television show. And he got me. Uh, and he's Honestly, good in it too. That's the thing. Since you're mentioning uh, TV, I'll just like, you know, if anybody hasn't uh, um, uh, seen The Nick, like, Clay, you got to watch The Nick. I mean, it's... Fantastic. Two seasons. I, I was really just gonna ask that. No, no, it, it was just like nobody watched the Eddie. <laughs> it's just like okay. Well. 
Um, that's gonna be my new bit. I gotta watch like the weird one-off vanity project. Like I gotta watch, like I gotta get really into Tool to Die Young. Like, watch all these TV shows that nobody really watched, but like yeah. probably are good. That's why that's probably too much fucking TV. Man, I know. I know. It's like it's probably ripped, but like nobody. Yeah. Damien Chazelle directed two of those episodes. No one watched them. Yeah. No one watched I mean, that show. Listen, it has something to do with the episode that we have coming out after this one, uh, but the get down, right? Or it's like, what did Baz do after uh, Great Gatsby? You know, it's just like directed a few episodes of this random TV show. But I think Baz was more was more involved with that than just like sure, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I don't think it was like a hired gun. It's well, like, I thought the, Damien he was also a producer. I think, yeah. yeah, yeah. This was a Chazelle project, and then it was just like, eh, who cares. <laughs> I will, I will say, I do believe Andre Holland is in the new Luca Guadagnino movie. So mm-hmm. that's, yeah. Uh, have it off the top. I got Please. it. Please. Um, no waiting. Intro. I don't, intro. I don't have to uh, delay you like, uh, it's true. like Ray like, delays for, for Eric. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Um, the do you have intro, one? I'll go if you have one. I'll go. Yeah. I, no I love the beginning of the film. Um, uh-huh. I love the camera movement too, where it like backs That's up and you see like, oh man, you see the back of, you see the, yeah. you know, his back and then it slowly comes in and, but the dialogue and I love, I always love coming into a middle of a conversation in a film. It's mm. always fun oh, to me. It, yeah. And no, I was just going to oh. say too, like that Soderbergh's like trademark to me where it's like right. the, uh, the dialogue starts even before the movie does. Uh, and then you pop up like the fanfare or what have you. And it's just like, that's such a cool little detail that it's like, yeah, like that's your visual flair is like your characters are so important and starts uh, uh, further back than the movie does. All of the ocean J-cut, movies. J-Cut King, Steven Soderbergh. Right. <laughs> All of the ocean movies, you come in the middle of them figuring out something. Like it's never like the beginning. It's never like, hey, Danny. Hey, you know, it's like, it's all, it's always in the middle of it. Um, but yeah, I, I might be wondering how I got here. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm Ocean. I, this is my eleven. There's none of that. Um, but yeah, no, I, it's it's also a great. This is the dialogue. This is the pace of the film. This is mm. it, it's perfect table setting. Um, and you're already kind of sucked into like the whole idea. You know, Paul mentioned earlier. It's like, who is this guy? How does he know so much? Know know so many things about like you know the process of leech? Like you know these leech motherfuckers who, you know, try to trick players to, you know, take out insane loans and stuff. Like, he's, like, all of it, all of it comes uh, so effortless to him. He's like, I know the exact playbook, I know exactly what they say, what they do, how they position themselves, and... Andre Allen's an incredible actor, but I honestly don't think he could ever play unqualified, because I feel like any situation, Mm. I would be like, he probably has a handle on this, you know? (laughs) He he probably knows what's going on, like, as much as, like, you know, he might be, you know, in a risky kind of scenario, it's like, I think he sort of has it, you know, like, I I kind of have faith in this this character always. Yeah, that's my, that's my, that's my film. Or my film, Jesus Christ, that's my scene. (laughs) I mean, this is kind of, you know, uh, this is my film. Yeah, right. This is mine, yeah. actually. Soderbergh didn't do shit. It's mine. Yeah, Soderbergh. That's like another uh, alias for you. The the similarly to how he uses aliases for editing and cinematography. Yeah, Clay Williams is just another. It's his podcast. <laughs> alias. Um. Yeah, and then Q High Flying Bird by Richie Evans. But you promised the man. Right, I ain't promised him shit. You must have signed something. You said he's on your phone. You said he's threatening you. You must have promised Look, him something. I can't you first. Eric, you going back, and I'm asking you about this. Look, when the first negotiation ain't go through with the league and the players' association, I said, let me hold something to float me back until I'm good. I came to you first. And I told you that was not a good look. How many agents get their players' money? There's precedence, yes, but it is not protocol. 
and surely not during the lockout. Point of fact, last time this happened, folks went broke left and right. That's what I'm saying. Who's trying to be broke? You still broke. You ain't even in the league yet. How you going? Is everything okay? Uh, yeah. Check, please. Uh, wait a second. Here you go. So what, now you're rushing me off? I'm no longer having a good time. Yeah, me and you both. He got your ass. Who? You an owl now? You. You just telling me this now. Jumping at me, Eric Scott, when you got got. That man ain't meet you by happenstance at your homie's party six months ago. He meant to rock up to whoever's preseason soiree was going down and catch him a rookie. And he caught the big fish, yeah. Come on, Oh, the number one sign. He got your ass. Now, don't get me wrong, you helped. Smiling. What'd he say? Big fan. Saw all your games at LSU. Said he couldn't wait for you to sign the New York so he wouldn't have to travel to see you. Gave you a nerdy laugh, made you think he was a cornball. Damn. Mm-hmm. See, he heard about the trouble. Meetings happening and no resolution. Everybody expecting something to come down to the wire like it always does, and the owners or the players to fold. But if they didn't, wonder how people are gonna survive. Then he scared you, describing how a lockout doesn't affect the Stephs and the Durants. They got that long money. It's gonna take a minute before it affect their daily life. But those check-to-check -check fellas, the ones just starting out, the rookies, he said, use the term freshman. Mm -hmm. He saw you panicking and he offered you some dumb interest loan from his bank. At that moment, you should have asked yourself, hmm, what's his angle? Why is he being so damn generous to me? And then you should have said, hey, man, I'm doing all right, you know? My agent, who also isn't being paid during the lockout, by the way, told me, don't take a loan unless I can pay for it. At which point, I would have said, I, being you in this case, said that's stupid. That's right, Eric, you said that's stupid. It wouldn't be a loan if I could pay it back right then. See that logic? Don't take loan. I needed money. What the fuck, what? You had money to move here, you moved here, your rent is paid it. Now I'm shouting. <clears throat> Look, Ray, I'm sorry. Hey, 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 E, spare me your apologies, okay? This is not Sister Ray's Prep Academy where you do something stupid, I rap on your knuckles, tell you to say the rosary, and all is forgiven. No, you just being you. What? Here's what you thought signing to the NBA would be. Not a chance to show your talent, not as a vehicle to a better world or to change how the game is played by pushing your limits, your team's limits into athletic glory, no. You thought, I can't wait to sign that contract and stun on these fools. It'll be a big fuck you to the naysayers and the hate swears. Just wait till I swag out, finally get mom's a new spot, and use Ray as the daddy I never met. But signed or not, we are in a lockout. So it's time for you to get that daddy's dream dick out your mouth. Man. Oh, pause, or, bro. Or, 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 or after you made that stupid decision. You could have told Joe Blow Longshark, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I got your money. And yeah, I spent it on some dumb shit. And yeah, I know it was a six-month, very short-term loan with very stupid, dumbass interest. But I thought I'd be playing by now. I'm not, so I don't got the money to pay you back. Fuck you and have a nice life. I mean, what's the worst he could do to you in this case? Get your bad credit? I already got bad Rhetorical. Right. My point, Eric, is he can't do shit else. He's just gonna call you nonstop, maybe send you a summons, but here you are, stressing like he could schedule a drive-by. You wrong. On what, climate change? I didn't come to the league to say fuck you to nobody. I was made for the league. And the league is a business. It's all business. Yes, Eric. Business. We are in business. Hey, hey. You want to get back on the court. And I want to get you there. But right now we have to wait, okay? You can do that. Or I, I don't know, man. Practice. You still got your pregame ritual down? No sex before a game. I'll assume you're practicing. Listen. 
You think these fools, these rich white dudes, gonna let these sexiest sport fall by the wayside? <laughs> Football is fun, but it don't sell sneakers. You can't even see the players half the time. Baseball, it's a whole lot of tradition. But in order to move merch and inspire rap lyrics, they need your services. Too much money at stake. So just chill the fuck out. Wait on the Lord, Job. Who? Damn, man, did they ever let you go to class at LSU? Yo, stop low-key stupid in me. My apologies. When I'm hungry, I get mean. Hmm. There's money. A Bible. Bible? You finna pray? Not the Bible, a Bible, and don't open it now. Excuse me. Babe, the card's denied. We tried it a few times and called. They said to cut it. Here. I have cash. Ray, look. You're right. I got caught in a bad position. I got taken advantage of. I know. I just want the game. That's what I know. That's what I want. We'll get it for you. Promise. But you ruined my lunch. <laughs> Next one's on you. Hey, when should I open this? You'll know. You need a ride? No, I'm up the block. I'm good. Hey, thanks, though, man. For real, I mean that. I will choose the the uh, first introduction to Sonya's son's character at the bar um, because I just love the banter be between uh, her and Ray um, or my yeah Myra that's the character and um, there's just like so much history there and they just you know they play with each other so effortlessly effortless is like a word that comes to mind too whenever we talk about Sarah Berg, and we'll have several more opportunities to because um, it's like this, there's no like accidents or they there or there's no like um like there everything just feels has just this level of importance to it and i think that scene is just a great example um i'm just asking for confirmation listen you want this over everybody does do it for the kids what, what kids you don't even have kids to the future <laughs> still want them Still want kids? You all still trying? Ray, I'm, I'm just no. asking. You know we do. Mm. We try. How's it going? Young, we running some tests. Caroline was gonna have the baby, but now we're running some tests. See if I can. So you're gonna be needing some time off. You are a shit. I'm just trying to figure. My out. womb isn't blocking you, Ray. I want this shit over too. Right, you just seem relaxed for a meeting that doesn't seem to have good news with a pool of, what did you call them, horny sharks? Maybe you need to go and leave a little early. Maybe your head is just not in the negotiation. Oh, fuck you. So like surrogate Ray, Uncle Ray? The meeting is a formality. Nothing's changed. So why have it? It's an up or down vote. The owners aren't budging. They like the 50-50 split on revenue, but the players don't because they have to spread it out amongst too many other players, especially with the surge in income. The meeting's just there as a formality, just to say we met and then try before the holiday weekend. Even if I was trying to get pregnant, wouldn't happen before Tuesday. So my head is in the game, Dick, and the Players Association, which I rep, has spoken, and they are not moving. 
know. Oh, that's why. They don't even give a fuck. Half of them won't even shit. Hey, hey. What? Uh, you need some coffee. There's a spot. What am I calling? Trying to enjoy that burn while you can? Man, I was never that girl. Even in high school, I had friends who, who couldn't wait to be moms. But not me. Shit, now. She wants them more than you. And I want her more than the world. Mmm. That's beautiful. Sounds like honey whiskey. Heavy with mood. I know. What is that? I know that. Guys, college lesbian music. <laughs> I knew you were one of us. Good. And, and rain. And advise everyone at the meeting that they shouldn't put off till tomorrow what they can do today. What are you even talking about? What are you up to? Doing my job, Myra. I'd like to do my job. It's a lot, Calvary. Go home. Hmm? Tell him. Just tell him. He's well, a meticulous like it, director, but he yeah. somehow doesn't have to do like a thousand takes or whatever. Absolutely. Like, it's very yeah, interesting. Yeah. The work ethic and the effortlessness is just like, it's a wonderful combination. Um, and that scene, like, I just love the way it looks as well, um, where it's like, that is like the most uh, that you see the iPhone, but in a great way, because it's like the lighting is very specific to how the bar is lit. Um, and I think it's just like the bar lighting. Like there's no, nothing in the background. It's so yeah, yeah, so yeah. interesting. Yeah. Same thing with the with the um, bathroom scene. We're taking the shower. It's like yeah. There, there's yeah, no exactly like, accentuating. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's really raw. Yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, it's only furthered and insane. But I think once we cover that, the iPhone is used to like yeah. just a different. It's used as a different tool and insane, obviously. Yeah. What do you guys think of the swivel? Th he does that swivel thing so often in this movie, right? Where it's just sitting there and it'll totally. Swivel. Yeah. I mean, his, he does that a lot in um, No Sudden Move too. Um, no Sudden Move. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, the fish There's a lot of sudden moves in that movie. I will say. Hot okay. Take, a lot of sudden Whoa. moves in there. Whoa. I, I think. I think. This okay. We get. We're gonna have to cut this. Uh, we're gonna have to cut this. Cut. Yeah. 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 Uh, this will be also the last. Lost Shout stage. out to the ending too. I love. I love how I love Zazie Beats at the very end when you're like Eric, you have to read this. I love like mm. the, how startled yep. she that sounds. Felt almost, sit, almost like sitcom to me. I just I, I don't know it it, it feels it, it helps make the like it really important and then the cut to him actually meet, uh, meeting Harry Edwards and it's yeah like, I don't know. I love how, like, once they get to Eric's place, like, in the few scenes they do, they they, they get to let their guard down. Um, like, there's that one moment when it's just, like, they flop on the couch or what have you, and it's just, like, you know, these are them as, like, real people, not so much, like, business partners or athletes. I also love the production design of his home, or his mm. apartment, or whatever the fuck you want to call it, is because I think player or some directors would overplay it. It's, like, a whole mess. There's pizza boxes in the gr on the ground. Like, it's filthy. You know, these players, these young kids, they don't know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of, but it's not pristine either. It's in that kind of middle. It's like, this is, like, a lived-in space. It's like but how he's a regular like... person <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. Uh, and Eric Scott just has that advantage of looking like a real person. I know that's, like, a vague compliment, but, like, that's the reason why he can get from this uh and american vanual like uh a year or two earlier and he's i know it's great. When, when he was in the way back as another basketball player yeah, like, yeah. It's insane. <laughs> i was like what, is what this? year is this like yeah. 30 years old yeah and that came out after high flying bird that's not like a movie yeah. that he shot no. like 20 years ago like that's right. a fucking 
And he plays a high school shot around the same time though, because it was delayed and everything. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right, right. That's true. Sure. Or came but out at the like, very start of COVID. Yeah. But he, the, what he, you know, what his big choice was for that movie? He shaved, and it's like, oh, okay, he's a high school student now. <laughs> Whoa, no mustache. Whoa. Okay, you're just, <laughs> junior year. Okay, yeah. I'm sold. Oh man, uh, yeah, perfect. but. All right. Beautiful. Well, Paul, thank you so much That's for coming a wrap. on. Yeah, this yeah, great. please come back. This was the perfect time. episode for you yeah. and for our interests. All yeah. <laughs> coincided beautifully. I will delete my track. Uh, this will just be a few, uh, <laughs> like we discussed. Uh, yeah, where can everybody find you online? If you have anything going on right now, please like tell us about it. Uh, nothing too exciting. I mean, if you, just if you curse what I'm watching, I'm on Letterboxd. Just search my name, Paul Oyama. I'll be there posting what I watch. And I, I'm on Twitter. You know, I just mostly do about basketball and occasionally about movies. So if you yeah. care at all, just Paul underscore Oyama. I mean, you can find me pretty easily. Just search my first and last name. Nice. Easily. Yeah. Uh, in your social security, uh, you said you give it to us. Right, 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 right. Yeah. 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 Six, seven, eight, triple nine, eight, two, one, two. Uh, <laughs> my soldier boy heads out there. Um, <laughs> wow. That's smart. Yeah. Um, Okay, yeah. Uh, I am on Twitter at Jack A. Draper. I have writing on film at the Boston Hassle. Uh, this movie, obviously, Netflix original, it's on Netflix still. Uh, next week, Greg Hill Turner is back on the pod for The Great Gatsby. Say it with me. Uh, it's Clay's wow. movie that we've covered. Um, it's just, it's aged curiously since 2013. Um, and uh, yeah, we're doing it for, for Elvis. Yeah. Everyone follow me at uh, Birds of Clay on Twitter and on Letterboxd. You follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clay Williams. You follow the podcast Twitter account at Pod. You can send us an email at exiting2010s at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Greatly appreciate it. Five stars. Um, share us with a friend. Retweet. Do what you got to do. Spread the word. Um, be good to yourselves. Stay safe. Uh, we are recording this the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned. So please, please, please. Donate to a local link in the bio. Yeah. Fund. We yeah. Have, so we, we're also going to have a link on our Twitter page from the National Network of Abortion Funds, the Act Blue. So you donate a set amount of money. It splits it between all of the different um, all the different funds. Uh, so please do that if you can. All right, guys, as always, we'll catch you next time on Exiting through the 2010s. Mm-hmm.